The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad to have y'all here with us this morning. I'm Veda with Palladio Garden in Memphis, Tennessee. Yeah, and I'm Kenneth Mabry with Damas Garden Centers. And I'm Jim Crowder. I'm old and I'm tired. <laughs> He's just tired, tired. I mean, hanging out at the Botanic Garden yesterday morning. We had a, great, had a great time out there yesterday, though. And so, you know, still got a lot of great plants out there. So mm-hmm. get out there today if you can. And while you're there, zip across the road to the Dixon Gowering Gardens. They have more native stuff. They have some small pots of lots of cool things so you can get many many things for not a whole lot of money and the dixon now it's uh, and and the botanic free i mean you just walk right in. that's right you walk right in yeah and of course yeah. the garden centers they're absolutely free to walk yeah into, they, you know? they have um <laughs> they're free to walk yeah, in but man. not when you walk out but, it's not, <laughs> but you're no. supposed to have an appointment at both of them okay. um, if somebody doesn't show then you can get in without an appointment uh, the reason is just for traffic control because yeah. you get a whole lot of people at one time. You know, they only have a certain number of registers, and if it backs up, you know, 25 people deep, you know, I know how I feel at Walmart when it's like mm-hmm. that. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, it so, was a beautiful day yesterday. I know that. I mean, yeah, the weather was well, perfect for getting out and shopping. And I promise you, I'm sure you can say the same thing. It was crazy yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is great, but I mean, you can't blame people. I mean, they've been so hemmed up this whole spring. Mm-hmm. It's been cold. It's been wet until now. Really, if you think about it, I'm, I'm talking yeah. about since December. Right, and then it's going to be wet Monday. Well, I can take a day, <laughs> but I mean, cold and wet is oh, different right, to me right. than <laughs> beautiful weather. I mean, or, cold, wet, windy. Yeah, no, 81, and we had a uh, <clears throat> frost in some areas the first of the week. So Yeah, that's know. right. We yeah. did. No, no. I mean, we yeah. always say, you know, April 15th, of course, is the official frost date. But that's just a guideline. It is. You know, you know? but I was telling uh, Beatty yesterday that you know, I had already taken all of my succulents out, put them on racks, and they're up under it in the eve, and they get some heat off the house and that sort of thing. So I just knew they'd be fine. But I had a Haworthia, and the it says multiple plants in the pots, and the one on the outside collapse just like freeze damage yeah mm-hmm. you know the rest of them back a little further underneath the they shelf were fine were fine but that one just went backwards you know and it just it got to 38 degrees at the house and i didn't think that would be cold enough mm-hmm. for one night to hurt them but obviously this little plant didn't like it well i even had people even yesterday asking me you know they they had carts full of stuff and they're like kenny is it okay yeah. for me to go ahead and plant this and i'm like we're good now right you know, if and you he, look at the... And he's got his hands behind his back. Yeah, with his fingers, fingers crossed. crossed. <laughs> oh, yeah, go right ahead. Yeah, because we'll have more after this no. cross, too. And, and I think we're fine now, of course. Uh, you know, trees and shrubs, perennials, even annuals, uh, tender tender plants. But, I mean, we're just now getting there. Mm-hmm. And this is almost yeah. the end of April, I mean, which yeah. is hard to believe. I know. it. So if our spring or if our summer takes a little while to get here, That'd we'll be okay. have a wonderful, yeah, yeah wonderful okay. extended spring. I hope we can get extended yeah. but you know spring. traditionally the week if the weather's nice the week after um good friday is the best week of the year for yeah. the garden industry yeah that's true you know so from now for the next uh Oh, what in hundred days? Day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next it days. Uh, it gets to be pretty hectic around a garden zone. Well, I was uh, I've got limits, y'all. Okay, mm-hmm. 
I was driving to work yesterday morning. You know, and you know, my yard. I like. It's not that I, I guess I do. I like to prune, you know, and, and like my hollies and, and my boxwoods, and I've got them all shaped and they're round. They look like beach balls, and you know, but it looks to me, it looks, uh, you know, tidy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I was driving to work yesterday morning, and we've talked about this years ago, and I saw this hedge of azaleas, and these, you know, square top, <laughs> yeah. square front, and these little blooms kind of sticking out, yeah. and I'm like, okay, that's where I draw the line, mm-hmm. y'all. Even I draw the line there. I mean, oh, making them square. Well, if yes. they had done it right after it bloomed, oh. then maybe you would have gotten. They would have gotten blooms on the side. No, they did. These had blooms on the side, there was blooms just on the top, so square but squared off. And I'm yeah. thinking that is the most god awful look I think I've right. ever seen in my life. Yeah, when it really, comes to really pretty when they put a white and a pink and a red and a white and a pink and a red. You know, and you have all these boxes in there. Yeah. Yeah. Jimmy, just <laughs> it just it was not a good look, y'all. And I'm thinking to myself. Do I over prune things, you know? But mm-hmm. that's where I draw the line, though. No, yeah. and I'm not going to prune azaleas right. to look like a box hedge. Judy well, is in the eye of the That owner. was just going to say, because uh. I have had people, when I've talked to them about pruning, I'm going to prune this now, prune that then, you know, so we don't lose the flowers. And she actually said, I don't care anything about the flowers, so you just prune whenever. I just want it to always look like this. Well, and that's what made mm-hmm. me think, Veda, you know, why didn't they put just another shrub in there, whether it's a holly or whatever, that they can? Well, I was thinking about that. You know, uh, when I'm selling shrubs to go in front of a house, they're always planting them too close. Of course. And so I asked them, you know, and I know that I'm talking myself out of a cell, but let's really think this over because I think sometimes people plant too close and the only thing they know to do is hedge it. And not only people plant too close, <laughs> landscapers also they're plant too close. They're not people, are they? They're not people. <laughs> but I was like, y'all, this He's is... making friends this morning. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't know, y'all. It, maybe I'm not used to seeing... I mean, if it wasn't blooming, you wouldn't even notice it. Yeah. Okay, it would look like a green hedge. Yes. But when this thing was just... These little blooms were just flat up against this this block if you will i'm like that is that's not a good look that's like the fire state fire station at alturia and stage road they have yeah. forsythia that are squared off you I've know and suddenly that. each in the spring you have this yellow block but it made me think about my practices of what i'm doing at home you know i mean you know i guess we get i don't know i mean to me it just seems like there are some things that i don't mind pruning and they look great and neat and tidy, like I said, but there are some things you need to just let kind of grow. Right, because I'm sure with you, because you've got everything pruned, like we're saying, yeah. nice and, and formal looking. But if you planted an azalea, you wouldn't do that. I'm not going and, to. And you can have an, an azalea in a free flow fashion next to square shrubs. Yeah, that's and, okay. And of course, and that even brings up the mm-hmm. argument well, also. <laughs> yeah, I'm not well, sure that that's okay, but we'll let it. Be. It, yeah. It's you know, <laughs> but, I'll let it be okay. But but even the way I'm pruning my say wintergreen boxwood that have been out there when I moved in the house, they were already there uh, around this bay window. And I've got them in, like, big beach balls. You know, I could go in there and take the time to go in there and what they do, cloud them, you know, yeah. and, and, and kind of go in the interior and cut out some limbs and make it look more natural. Still keep it confined to the, the size I want it in. Yeah. And not have this beach ball look. So I'm thinking... Man, am I doing just everything the wrong way, you know? They're just using the look you like, no, and you're just, using the shrubs you started. It's just a started. different way, yeah. you know. There's really not a wrong way. 
Right. It's it's whatever you prefer. Well, mm-hmm. it, it, look, seeing this Isaiah hedge made me think of rethink everything. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. that's cool. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, a lot of us are rethinking on trying to do better to planting without having to have so much maintenance on pruning. Mm. That's one of the uh, bigger questions now that I used to, to get. Before, you know, people were just like, you buy stuff and you prune it. That's just how it works. Mm-hmm. You buy it, you square it, you buy it. You round it. You round it, yeah. And now a lot of people are going, I don't want to prune any more mm-hmm. and uh, i'm telling them well do you know what actually a shrub looks like when it's not pruned square They're like no not you know not really and then i would show them what a plant could look like growing natural and they they would say well why are we plant uh, pruning things in squares i go well that's just kind of how the industry was going years well, and years ago but it also makes you think that you know there are a lot of wrong right plants in wrong areas that's it you know yeah. really if you think about mm-hmm. it because we're constantly trying to keep it confined to what we want it to look like. Crate myrtles, for example. You know, yeah. some crate myrtles want to get 30 foot tall. Well, no, I want that crate myrtle only to get 10 foot tall. Mm-hmm. Well, the only way to do that is go out there and prune it. Right. You know, not a good thing, right? Yeah. So. And then if you start pruning early, then you cannot, you won't have such a hard time keeping it in shape. But, oh, we always wait till they're 15 feet. And, and get the chainsaw prune. out. Yeah, and just chop the tops off. So sometimes it's pruning throughout the growth, especially if you're starting with a young plant. Well, it was, um, I was pruning Japanese maples at work. Carefully. Well, one. Yeah, one. And so I'm, it's behind the pond. And so I'm up in, not in the tree, but in the middle of the tree, pruning all the little stuff out, pruning the crossing limbs, get it all cleaned up first so then I can shape it. And I got over there to do it just because the guys were getting ready to put the shade cloth up. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to, you know, prune it up, make it really good. And as I stood back and looked, it looks great. But then the top is too tall. The shade cloth can't go over. Uh-oh. So what I have to do, I had to chop it off yeah. <laughs> at the top. But I was able to hide the uh, cuttings where I cut it because there's a backside to it. So I was able to hide those. But in that case, whoever was there before had planted a tree that gets too large Mm -hmm. for the situation. So then I had to change the height or the shape of the top. Well, in Japanese maples, and people prune them, you know, all the Mm -hmm. time. But I tell people, you know, these are beautiful specimen trees. And you want to be really careful because once you cut a limb off, you can't put it back on. So you can mess up the, with any pruning, you can mess up the natural beauty, the natural shape. Yeah. Uh, of a specimen. So you just want to be careful when you can get those clippers in oh, your hands. Yeah. So we have the conical shaped boxwoods for sale at work and some of them flushed out and don't, don't look as quite as conical or matching. Yeah. So I told a customer yesterday, cause mm-hmm. you know, they're looking for the matching ones. And I said, well, I've got to prune these anyway, so we'll do this right now. So I'm teaching her how to prune and all. Well, we get a delivery of a small delivery of flowers and the, the truck driver wanted me to unload now. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I have to, you know, finish pruning her, her shrubs first. So he's standing there watching me. So I'm like, okay, this makes me prune slower, <laughs> slower yeah. if you're going to watch me. So, um, but I love to prune. I love to prune properly, but especially the conical shape things, because you're getting them to look like that. But otherwise, it's hard to prune good limbs off and just all that. It's you amazing. Know. Yeah, I yeah. told you, I think I've told you all the story about, I was in a seminar with John Naka. And I had an azalea I had bought from Brussels Bonsai Nursery. And it was beautiful. It was I don't know, 25 or 30 years old. 
Um, but there was this one limb at the top, and I couldn't I wire it one year to the back and then bring it to the side, and I never could decide where it needed to be. And uh, so John walked up, and he said, well, what's the problem? I said, well, this limb right here, I don't know what to do. He reached down, grabbed my pruners, and <laughs> whack, it's gone. <laughs> and he looked at me, and he said, if it's a problem, cut it off, yeah. and then it's not a problem anymore. Right. <laughs> You know, because that was one thing mom had taught me on creating and stuff. She goes, you're the only one that knows you messed up. Yeah. Because if you're creating something that's your own style, then nobody knows if you messed up. If you're imitating something, they'll know if you messed up. So when you're doing your own style, no one knows if it messed up and you can change your style throughout. Yeah, that's all fine and good. But I'm telling you, I draw the line at Isaiah's. I'm just telling you right now. It was just not a good look for me driving in the other morning. Well, you know, we'd like for you all to give us a call, uh, 260-5926. If you can't pick us up very well right now, just stream us online at kwam.com radio.com good morning welcome back to mid-south gardening give us a call 260-5926 you can watch us on facebook live if you can't hear the whole show or if you want to hear it again go to our podcast if we're going in and out right now kwamradio.com you can stream us oh Two six zero five nine two six. Two six zero five nine two six. In our Facebook page, Mid South Gardening, you can cruise through that right now if you want to. There's a lot of interesting things on there, like uh, people are putting posting things that I haven't seen before. Wait, was that flower upside down? No, on Mid South Gardening. Yeah, yeah, it's a really cool. F- Did you figure out what it may be, Jim? I hadn't looked at it really okay. yet, good. So I'll, I'll look at it when uh, during the Cause break. Because that's uh, if you can figure out what that is. That's a looks like it would be a wood, cool looking woodland plant, but it looks like it's in the sun sun grass. Oh well, y'all. Good. I bet y'all see a lot of new stuff coming in your up in your yard too. And you know, depending on our season, sometimes things show up that we've never had before. Mm-hmm. Like when we have lots and lots and lots of rain, which or something that's kind of different in our environment than normal. Sometimes different things germinate that has been in the ground waiting for the right weather. You know, we were talking about, and some things, you know, you never need to plant at all. But some <laughs> things we're kind of misleaded to plant. Uh, you know, we were talking about the Bradford pears a couple of weeks yeah. ago. Well, there's even an article in the Commercial Appeal this morning uh, about Bradford pears and how they escaped to in the wild and how it was just a horrible experiment. You know, it was a yeah. great it was a great tree with with bad results. Well, you you know? know, everybody's coming in and telling me that, and I'm going thinking they must have listened to the show because why all of a sudden is everybody talking about Bradford pears not you know and reseeding out in the woods and all. Well, I mean, you know, it, it was just one of those things where it, 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 we all thought it was going to be the perfect urban tree. We really did. But, Jim, it was funny. I was reading the, uh, the article this morning, in Veda, and, you know, it was talking about all the horrible things that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Now, I'm not saying if you've got a Bradford pear to go out there and cut the thing down to the ground today— uh, you know, Mother Nature's going to take care of that for you anyway, eventually. <laughs> It'll slip. Yes, yeah. it will. Uh, but patient. it was just, you know, I was reading about that today and how these people uh, had, you know, these acres and acres and acres of woodland, and they've been spending every moment of every day trying to get all these wild pears off mm, of their land. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man. <clears throat> but, the, you know, one of the trees that you surely should plant is a fringe tree. You know, well, I saw mm-hmm. one blooming yesterday, and— uh, I was reading about it last night, you know, because I was just thinking about how beautiful these fringe trees are. And it's, you know, it, they're, 
They're tougher than dogwoods. They're more dependable than saucer magnolias. They live longer than a cherry. Um, and, and they don't smell like a nasty pear, you know? Right. I mean, it's almost like a perfect tree. And if you want a tree that's more ornamental, it's not going to get huge. It only gets, what, 12 to 20 foot tall, depending on where it's planted. Yeah, 20, 25. Yeah, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've seen, uh, there was one in Central Gardens that was probably 40 to 50. It had been there a long mm-hmm. time. Um, but occasionally you'll see some really big ones out in the wild. We're, you know, undeveloped areas, but it's a, the American is, is a great tree. Now, the, the, the oriental one um, tends to be a little more, well, it holds its foliage longer into yeah. the fall, has a shinier foliage, um, but it's, uh, all in all, you know, I'd plant the American if I had a choice. But, but they're absolutely mm-hmm. beautiful trees. Yes, I mean, they are. And, and I'm just wondering why. You know, we don't see more yeah, of those. I know, I, I know. You know. I wondered that as well. So, um, it's okay. It's because uh, I want you to take a look at this tree here. This is called a Grancy Graybeard. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. does that just make you want to go <laughs> get one? Grancy Graybeard. No. If you're yeah, like no. me, I like it because say, of the name. Take a look at this dogwood. Now, that, you know, suddenly there you went, okay, I'll yeah. look at that. Yeah. You know? But what's a gray beard? I don't yeah. want any gray beard. Who, Nancy? I don't yeah, know. Well, I've also heard that a lot of people are recommending service berry mm-hmm. for a replacement. It, yeah, you know, I, I kept one in my yard for four or five years or longer until mm-hmm. I finally took it out. I mean, it, it, it it's it's a beautiful plant. Yeah. Okay? Mm-hmm. It has great fall color. Um, it it tend to, to um, like a Nandina, sprout and spread by yeah. the roots a good bit. So it was popping up in places where I really didn't want it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it, it gets a little leaf issue late in the summer. Um, but it, if, if you're doing planting for wildlife or just want to do yeah. native stuff, then it's a good choice. It's a tough tree. Um, now, how tall does that one get? Like 15 Yeah, I'd say most? 15 yeah. is about it. Yeah. yeah. But I'm telling you, I mean, when, when I saw this fringe tree, and I've seen them, you know, my whole life. Mm-hmm. And I've sold them, you know, for 40 years. But I'm just like, I stopped for a second and looked at this thing. And I'm like, man, this is really a good-looking mm-hmm. tree. And like I said, when I started reading about it, I mean, in the articles, you know, they say it always plays 12th fiddle to all these other trees yeah. for, for no reason whatsoever. There is no reason to, and, to be on the bottom of the list. Yeah, and, and like they said, you know, it's tougher than a dogwood. You know, think about it. Dogwoods mm-hmm. can, they, I mean, they can, I love dogwoods, first of all, they can, but they can be a little finicky. You got to be, you got to know how to plant a dogwood. They're more dependable than a saucer magnolia. Well, that's true mm-hmm. because saucer magnolias bloom early in the spring. You get one frost and they're gone, right? And it's, uh, it's it lives longer than a cherry. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. You know, cherries, they can have their issues with boars and everything else. And, of course, it's smell, I mean, it, it smells a lot better than they, what they call the stinky pear. Yeah. And I'm thinking of all those. I'm like, you know, all these are absolutely true mm-hmm. when it comes to this tree. So... I remember one one year I was flying back from Florida and it was like maybe June or so and you get low enough to start seeing the city and I saw I kept seeing all I could see was these big white things in trees yeah white from from, a, from above yeah from above and it was a lot coming in and at first I'm going oh it must be crepe myrtles yeah and as 
I got far, we started getting closer to the ground. <laughs> I noticed that these were all magnolias. And so from the air looking down, I could see the big saucer magnolias blooming all over Memphis. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because white shows up good anyway. But I thought, wow, is that southern? You mm-hmm. know, you're in. <laughs> and it's a shame we don't see more of these underused plants used more because. Like, how, how many times have you seen a, um, a, a lot? I've yeah, seen one of those. So many times. Mm. The, uh, it's a, <laughs> I do, was just thinking the, about it because I wanted to talk about it. And uh, you know, you know how, you know how people come in and try to describe things. Try that, Jim. Yeah. It's mm. got green leaves. Yeah. It has a flower like a camellia. It has white blooms in the summer. Uh, stewardia. Yeah. Oh, I love there we that go. one. But yes. you hardly ever see them. Right. I mean, right. And why is that, though? I, I mean, it's just. Well, I don't know. In fact, in reading through some of uh, Michael Durr's stuff, he says, if you could only have one flowering tree in mm-hmm. your yard, it should be a stewardia. Yeah. Uh, blooms in the summertime, has a beautiful white flower on it, yellow stamens, uh, and nice growth, upright growth pattern. It's it is an absolutely gorgeous and it's tree. Early on, it comes yeah. on or blooms or starts showing its blooms early on. Well, I don't see it commonly on availability to you order. Don't. That's the thing, yeah. and that's what's really frustrating is there's a lot of stuff that we could be carrying, but all the traditional people we order from don't carry. Well, it. because the growers have only I know we only got like. 40 seconds, but the growers are growing things that they know they're going yeah, to sell. right. But like you said, I mean, if those things were more available out yeah. there. It's uh, a slow-growing plant, so it costs more to produce. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and the last ones we got, we got from Saunders Brothers yeah. several years ago, but they are, they're a great plant if you can find one. Edgeworthia. We'll be right back. Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you could join us this morning. I don't hear myself, so that's why I sound kind of weird. I can hear you perfectly fine. All right, going to be a beautiful day. Get in the car. you got lots of plant sales you can hit. Fayette County plant sale going on at Oakland Elementary. Try to get out there if you can. Benefits the Fayette Care Organization. All right. Also, we got today, you got the Memphis Botanic Garden plant sale. you got Dixon Gallery and Gardens. Uh, t- want to get by there uh, if you can and um, there's just a world of really cool stuff out there and a lot of stuff that you just don't see going into an average garden center because many of these things there's not a huge demand for them so you know the garden centers just can't bring in 12 when they're only likely to sell one Mm -hmm. Uh, but you know in these specialty sales like this you get people who are focused on these type plants woodland plants and ephemerals and so you gotta they they sell through them pretty well and have some really unusual things cool plants and and the trip to dixon was just it was worth it just to see this whale's tongue agave Mm -hmm. that they've got growing right at the entrance there as you go into the sale it it does look that way it's the biggest one that i have ever seen yeah uh and it's it's just spectacular blemish free on the foliage Mm. Um, the blue color yes yes just wonderful and then i have a agave tongue sensevaria or the mother-in-law's plant 
which some our mother-in-law's tongue but it looks like a whale tongue. <laughs> I just realized that. Can you mother call a mother? Too happy. I know one of the the guys that does our um, makes puts all this data entry into the computer. You know, makes the tags and everything. And he'll put he'll you know names of plants have just been around forever. And he goes, can we even say mother in law's tongue? Because that could be negative. And I go, put it on the label. Heck yeah, <laughs> that's what I call We're it. We're getting so. I found this saying, it was so cute. It was, treat the earth well. It was not given to you by your parents. It was loaned to you by your children. That's true. That's you pretty know. good. Yeah. Yeah. So. And Earth Day was just, what, the other days or yesterday. Yesterday, so. yeah. You know, great. We have one day to celebrate I the earth. Know. Yeah. One whole day. <laughs> and the rest of the days, we can just mess it up, you know? Right. Oh, yeah. I thought I was going to, I was remembering how Earth Day started, but I didn't remember well. So go ahead, next topic. <laughs> well, the, the next topic is you were talking about, <laughs> you know, a wide array of plants. Uh, I saw a deciduous holly, a deciduous azalea, I'm sorry, uh, in full bloom mm-hmm. uh, the other day. Uh, it was, un, you know, like an understory shrub. This thing was about six to seven foot tall. It'll bloom better if they'll get it out of there. I know, Jim, but it was perfectly <laughs> beautiful where this thing was. And it was that, that, that orange color. Yes, yes, um, amazing. Uh, and I'm thinking that's, that's another shrub mm-hmm. that is totally underplanted. Uh, here in the mid south, it is, and I don't know it, why, because it actually fits in pretty good in the landscape. Oh, it, it does. Oh, Jim, yeah. show me pictures of his in his yard. I mean, his are yellow. Um, this one is. Um, well, he's got more than one. And, oh. and there's the oranges have, have and the pinks. Yes. I've seen the oranges around town a lot, especially in Midtown. Nice size. That one's called Great Bowls of Fire, and that's got I some yellow and kind of some reddish color to it. But they're absolutely great mm-hmm. looking bloomers. I'm telling you. I couldn't get any this year of those either. Well, and that's you know kind of like the the fringe tree we were talking about mm-hmm. a while ago, and the um, with the stewardia yeah. that Jim was talking about. And then about. I was talking about Edgeworthia, yeah. I meant to which go is back the paper bush. One. You don't yeah. still don't see a lot of those mm-hmm. out there, but Jim's got every color of the rainbow of deciduous <laughs> azaleas Jim, in his landscape. You know, Jim should be the grower. He's got all this great stuff. I know. So if you could be grower then i'd buy from you mm. and then sell it again well if i were <laughs> like 50 years younger i'd think about you try it. that yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah but i mean i'm telling you it's just one of those shrubs where you know we we don't we don't think about them uh until they start blooming a lot of people see them blooming and don't even know what they are right because they're not your traditional evergreen azalea that we're so used to seeing now mm-hmm. we've just given people a list of stuff they can't find <laughs> yeah you just have to work on it this year my grace southgate rhododendron has been spectacular and it's in a pot year round since outside you know uh, but it has been just absolutely now you're going to blow people's minds because we have all heard (laughs) we all know that we can't grow rhododendrons around here and here you're talking about i have a purple one that i got from from veda that's been beautiful this year and it's in the ground Uh, but i have a southgate that's evergreen and it's a it's a really really spectacular. Oh, but what about plant. people that do want to potentially plant a rhododendron around here? I mean, because we all know it's right. almost practically impossible. Even the ones that typically do better, mm-hmm. you know, some of these new hybrids that can stand maybe growing around here. But what's the deal with rhodos around here? Well, the main thing is they're so susceptible to root rot in the in our hot soil during the summertime. Yeah. <clears throat> so if you're going to plant it, plant it very high so that it drains very well. Use a good bit of grit when you plant it and have the the 
flare of the roots three or four inches above the ground. Oh, I've heard dig a hole, y'all, and fill it back up halfway. You know, or, or that's about know, right. Yeah, yeah. and, and have rocks, half of the root mean, ball, yeah. have half of the root ball sticking up no, out okay. of the ground. You want to use your rocks and in soil, you know, but mm-hmm. the rocks won't break down. You know, so they're there constantly to to help water flow through in it. And the rocks typically have little holes in them that will allow oxygen to stay in that because they are a high oxygen demand plant. They don't like to be their feet or their feet their roots don't yeah. like to be covered with water all yeah. the time. And and now, do you put yours in in the shade where you'd normally put regular azaleas? No, no. This one gets hot afternoon sun from about twelve o'clock on. See, that just blows my mind. Yeah, yeah. you know, if you look at them on the sides of the mountains in North Carolina, you know they get sun all the time, mm-hmm. and they've they've gotten up fifteen feet tall. There's no foliage under them because they shade themselves out, but they're really spectacular when they bloom. Yeah, I had somebody want to buy a couple, and they weren't really gardeners and didn't do a lot of planting. And I said, container, then you better put it in a container. And still add, you know, like the shell, the... um, it's called Enlighten or Soil Perfector. Soil Perfector, any of those to yeah, the soil, even yeah. in a container, because you got to have perfect drainage for these rhododendrons. Yeah. And I love the way they bloom. You know, they look a little different than the azaleas. Of course, all azaleas are rhododendrons, right? But they look a little different. You can even go to Middle Tennessee, like Jim's talking about, especially mm-hmm. up in the mountainous areas, and they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. They grow wild up there. But you get a little further west where we are, a little flatter, a little bit more clay soil, and it becomes almost impossible to grow them. And even though I know there are newer hybrids out there that are more for the south, if you will, mm-hmm. for us, uh, they can still be a challenge. And I, like Jim was saying, I guess the biggest thing, Jim, is you better make sure you've got perfect drainage. And that's really what it yeah. comes down to. The Southgate series was developed for the heat of the south. Right. Uh, so they are, they're a better option for you. Now, they're not perfect. Um, so I have lost one that I had where... We had put in a the driveway pad, and over time it had settled a little mm-hmm. bit, and water had flowed towards it. So during the winter time, heavy rains or in the summer, it would fill up with water, you know, and slowly drain out. And so it it started going back after six or seven years. So, um, but this one in the container is just absolutely gorgeous. This one's Grace. It the flower bud looks pink, but when it opens up, it's pure white. Uh, and <laughs> deception there, yeah. you know. Yeah. Sometimes that's disappointing. It's very compact. I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. it grows like Ken likes them in a ball. I love perfectly. it. My, yeah. my plant. Yeah. My plant. There you go. You got to plant one of those now. Um, so I'm wondering, planting a rhododendron would that be harder than a dogwood? For our, it area? would be about the same, really, mm-hmm. about the same, uh, because dogwoods have such a large root system as they mature they're likely to withstand conditions that in a smaller area may do a rhododendron in right um you know so um but then i catch myself thinking also you know go ahead go ahead jim and they they really need different places yeah Uh, the dogwood really is an understory plant that blooms best when it's right at the edge of the woodland. Yeah. Uh, whereas the rhododendron is just happy as it can be sitting out in full sun. Well, but then it makes me think, and how many times do we say this? And I guess it's basically true with our clay soil, which I love our clay soil. Don't get me wrong. 
uh, especially if it's amended. Mm-hmm. But how many times do we say, now make sure you've got good drainage when, you know, when this thing is planted? I mean, it's based on everything that we sell. I remember a few people used to say, well, I'm on a hill. Yeah. Like, it still doesn't help. Heard, heard that yesterday. <laughs> you know? I'm, on, I'm on a slope. I'm planting yeah. it on a slope. That has nothing to do with how well it drains. Or your water's going to run straight off the top and down to the bottom and never get deep enough. Right. But yeah, it doesn't. It's have the percolation anything. right through the through the root ball and into the soil that's the important thing. And that if you're at the top of the hill, it may happen a slight fracture quicker, yeah. but not much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, when we were talking, when uh, just talking about planting on the hill, just had this vision. If there was this, uh, it was a Kroger out in Lakeland. <laughs> I'm just gonna say, no, it wasn't Kroger. They changed it to something else. But there was a slope, and so they decided to put trees on the slope. On the top or on the slope it's itself? On the slope itself. Yeah. So instead of um, instead of uh, planting them where they stood upright, they just planted them right in the hole, and so they were all growing. <laughs> sideways off the slope oh no (laughs) and so somebody they did come back and adjust them because you know if you're planting on a slope you can still do the tree upright you just change you still want the tree going straight up and down you don't want it sticking out like these were leaving leaving, (laughs) leaving, good grief give me some more coffee like like a a tornado came through and and kind of blew them over a little bit no you got to plant these things going straight up and down (laughs) they fixed it it's hilarious well, I, I know, know we try. Well, I know we got Barbara. Barbara, you got to hang on for just a second because I know we got to go to a break here. Uh, but also, at some times this morning, guys, we need to talk about what do we need to do or what do we need to add to raised beds, especially if they're planting like vegetables and so forth. You know, a lot of people a couple of years ago when COVID came around, people started making their backyard raised bed gardens, okay? Because they knew they wanted to grow some vegetables. They wanted to be outside. Mm-hmm. Can't blame them. And a lot of people would go get this bulk soil, and that's all they would just and try to grow directly just into that. So and it just didn't no, didn't work. Okay, no. well let's run to a break. We'll talk more about that. You're listening to KWAM Radio. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid South Gardening. Let's go to Barbara. Good morning. Barbara, you're in the garden. Uh, yes. I have uh, moved and have different flower beds that I've had at home. Mm-hmm. And these seem to have a lot more sand, which I assume is for the drainage. But how do I, when I plant something in there, how do I get more sand? I used to think, what was it called? Top, yeah, top mm-hmm. Not topsoil. Yeah, topsoil mm-hmm. had more sand mm-hmm. than it, anything else. It depends on the brand that you're buying, for one. But you're wanting to add more sand into the sand that's there? Yes, that, ma'am. What's well, a good you know, first of all, I'm not a really a big fan of a whole lot of sand. Because if you have it, you probably have plenty. Yeah, because, you know, sand and clay tends to make sacrete or mm-hmm. concrete, Okay. And Barbara, I'm not mm-hmm. saying don't use any sand. I mean, sand has a small particle that, you know, it doesn't dissolve. But it's, but the problem with sand is, is most sands are, you know, the, the grain, the particle is small. Instead of separating clay, it can bond to clay. Mm-hmm. Or it, sli- it works its way down to the bottom it, of the hole and creates a concrete slab. It doesn't actually improve your drainage in clay unless you're using about 90% sand and 10% clay. Uh, and that's it, a lot yeah. of sand. That, right. Uh, and that's because the particle size is so different. Yeah. 
So, you know, I would not add any sand. I would add organic matter in there and mix it in with that sand. Yeah, and that's going to make a better soil for you. And when you say organic matter... Yeah, yeah. like a... Like compost, uh, we've got some different varieties. One's the back-to-nature blend. Which is the cotton burb. Compost, mm-hmm. yeah, or the earth mix, which has the, a bunch of organic matter mixed in, too. I mean, chicken manure, cow manure, yeah. horse manure, uh, ground-up, well, composted-down leaves, anything like that that's more of a crumbly soil that you mix in with your sand and some and you kind of need a more heavyweight soil yeah and you need some clay in that yeah. and you know if there's clay under it try to dig some of that clay up and mix it with your sand uh sandier soil so but but even you know the garden soils and even the topsoil uh barbara that you mentioned i mean topsoil is nothing more than pine fine sand and soil kind of all mixed together um or <laughs> and then garden soil is a little bit more of a peat based uh soil that you can work into your to your garden, and then like Veda was saying, any type mm-hmm. of compost. But I would I would concentrate on using those things like Jim and Veda were saying instead of just getting purely sand. Well, I wasn't. I didn't plan on getting pure sand. Okay. <laughs> I know when I plant something in there, I don't know when I dig a hole. You know about what I should add in. Yeah. With well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And those products that we mentioned, garden soils, topsoils, uh, any of these soil conditioners, mm-hmm. the, the compost, uh, those products are great. In fact, you know, we tell people every day, you know, when you get ready to plant something, of course, in our clay soil, you know, dig the hole typically just as deep as the root ball, twice as wide, and then amend your soil with those type products, uh, and then you'll be good to go. Okay. Because, you know, I'm trying to put in some bedding plants. Mm-hmm. Right kind of larger ones than I was worried because I break off most of that soil, especially when it's got a lot of Right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, yeah, agree. <laughs> yeah, so you break a lot off of the root ball because the container it came in was all peaty. Yeah. Yeah, so you right. take, yeah, that's exactly right. You can knock that off and, and, and plant and compost, and the plant's going to enjoy that much better, and you'll have better longevity. Yeah, so garden soils are the compost-type products, Barbara, are the best way to go. Okay. Okay, well, thank y'all. Thank You're you. Thank you for calling in. It's a great question. Yeah, and it makes me, you know, we were talking about before we went to the break how <clears throat> a lot of people have these raised beds now <laughs> excuse me and you know they'll buy garden soil you know and to, to to fill their raised beds and then they'll start planting in you know directly into that and and that's okay but you know typically i say you know there's three things you should add to any raised bed and you can do this every year is maybe add a little bit of lime in there just to raise the ph uh, add some uh, compost, like you're talking about, Veda, whether it's the you know the chicken manure, the uh, cow manure, the cotton burr compost, any good compost product, work that in there also. And then add some nutrient value other than compost, like a garden tone or just a good fertilizer, and work all that in, and then you're ready to come back and plant. But it all starts with the initial soil that you put in that raised bed, you right. know? Right. Uh, See, it was like the time that... Uh, I went out to analyze someone's bed and they were like, I know it's not my soil because I've got the bulk soil, so it can't be the soil. And this was pretty good ways back and went out and looked at it and it was, you know, like if you smell the dirt, it's sweet. Mm -hmm. And the sweetness is all the microorganisms, all the health of the soil, like being out in the forest. 
So actually, I took like a handful, and and there was no sweetness, yeah. you know, and you just could look at it. The soil was lifeless. Yeah. I go, well, let's add, you know, some compost. At the time, I think it was the Back to Nature blend or the Cottonburg compost yeah. blend. So we added some of that, some organic fertilizer, planted this time, and her, her plants actually were able to root. Because if you have dead soil with no no action happening in there, you can't get that soil web going on to feed the roots of the plant to feed the plant. Yeah. So we just, I mean, they were just sitting there, and we, so we added compost all to it, took off. Well, and, and a lot of these bulk soils that you buy, you know, they have a lot of sand in them. Uh, they have a lot of bark material in them. A lot of peat. Yeah. And so, yeah. But it's always good to yeah, add some of those, those other additives, like we were talking mm-hmm. about, whether it's garden soil for a little bit more body, uh, the good, rich compost products, uh, you know, and then something like Biotone, starter fertilizer. Mm-hmm. Biotone is kind of like a garden tone, except it's got 50% more microbes in it. Okay, That's a great product. It is a great product. So, and then m- making sure you add a little lime. But if you're doing those things to your bed, uh, garden area every year, you're in good shape. Mm-hmm. I'm just telling you. Jim? Yes. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. So, you know, one thing is to check around, especially independent garden centers, because they work to get the proper soil mixes. Uh, You can buy soil everywhere, like uh, gas stations, I see it, and and other places like that. And a lot of times you have to buy different varieties of bags from these box places to get a mixture that's really good. Well, but also, you know, we we do say the word garden, I mean, garden soil quite a bit, Um, there's a difference. I mean, potting soil is more for containers. Garden soil is more for the beds, okay? You don't want to use, and I've heard, I've seen people do this and even ask me every day, can I use garden soil in my container to grow my flowers? Well, you can try your best, <laughs> yeah. you know, but it's just not the really, bl- the, the type of blended soil that you want to use in containers. It's a little heavy for that, mm-hmm. where potting soils are a lot lighter, for say, um, but it's great to work into your beds or add to your beds. Exactly. I have we have a potting soil that's for outdoor containers, but you cannot use it for outdoor hanging baskets or outdoor troughs because it's going to pull <laughs> the the, uh, the post hook. right yeah. out of the ground. Right, right. <laughs> I am actually trying this one in a trough, but for the I'm still going to use that mixture because the next one that would be available is too light. So, therefore, it's holding no moisture. But I'm going to probably take some pine fines mm-hmm. and just and blend in with that heavy But mixture. it goes back, and I know we only got a second, is the right type of soil for what you're doing is paramount. Yeah. And when we come back, I'll tell you how we really should do it. Oh, <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, so but wait my a minute. two cents is coming. We need your two cents. <laughs> we'll be right back. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all could join us. 260-5926. And we're here to uh, let Jim put in his <laughs> two cents word. <laughs> well, but like you said, Veda, 260-5926. 260-5926. That's a number up here, the direct line. You can go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text. But we were talking about what we should do to amend our soils, whether we're planting in a bed, whether we're using a potting soil to plant in containers. 
But Jim was like, okay. Because we were on the container potting soil kind of thing. So what are you thinking, Jim? Okay, well, again, it depends on what you're doing. Uh, and first thing, it also, the, mo- the to me, the most <laughs> important thing is what I- are you intending to plant in it? True. Because okay? yeah. that will change what you're going to do to the soil. But let's first start with the, gr- the soil that we are blessed with here, which is clay. Um, <laughs> cursed or blessed. That's right. Okay. If you're growing something that naturally grows in this area, you're not cursed with it. It just is fine. You know, things come up in the woods all the time. They're growing leaf litter on top. they got clay up underneath them. They're happy as they can be. Okay. Uh, all the weeds that come up in your yard, you know. Um, they're but not in the woods. Nope. They're just happy as they can be in plain old hard clay. Okay. <laughs> the advantages of clay is, one, because the particle size is so terribly small, okay? Um, I've given this example before, but if you had a grain of sand the size of the White House, a clay particle is about the size of an orange. Crazy. So if you hit, I mean, those particles will get in between grains of sand, and that's why we say you, you have to have about 90% sand to 10% clay to get to the point where the clay is not going to clog up that mm-hmm. area between those grains of sand. Yeah. So adding sand is okay, but it's not helping your drainage. It's just making you feel better. Yeah. And sand doesn't break down. So even once you and you fix your soil and add some organic matter and sand to it, the sand will still be there, okay? It's not going away. But if you add, our soil typically is around 3% organic matter. Here. Yeah. So if you go in and you add another, add 50% organic matter. So it brings you up now to six it, or something, yeah. you know. Uh, in three years, it's going to be right back where it was at yeah. three. All that organic matter is going to be used by the microbes and the plants and, and all that stuff in the soil. So when you're doing it to plant a new tree or a shrub, all, what you're doing is just doing this to help this plant get established the first two or three years, and then it's on its own. It's back growing in clay. And some plants won't tolerate that. You'll see them go backwards. A lot of perennials that we do over a period of three years or so, they'll yeah. begin to go backwards because that organic matter is disappearing. They're now dealing with clay, yeah. and they're not designed to grow in that. Yeah. So when you're creating soil remember that the clay is going to stay there okay it's your organic matter that's going to disappear so whatever you put in there and it really doesn't matter you know a good manure cotton burr all of that's organic matter to separate that soil let those roots grow through there let the microbes do what they need to do because they so many of these things attach to the roots of the plants to help them get water and nutrients. So that's a critical part of the soil web that, that Veda talks about all the time. So you need that organic matter in there to make that happen. Okay. If you're wanting to increase the drainage, the best way to do it here is by elevating it. Okay. Adding soil so that now your existing surface line is higher than the rest of the area around it. Right. You always will have air in that area in the soil between it because water will go right through it and then go out into the clay. And that's why we always say, you know, a raised bed. You know, you're actually planting above ground level. Right. Containers are above ground level. Gravity becomes your friend. It will pull water out quickly. And for these plants that like that, things like foxgloves that I grow, they like being up. They like water to get off their roots quickly. 
these things are easy to grow. But remember that the, if it's got some clay in it, it's good at holding nutrients. Right. So as your organic matter disappears in a raised bed, those plants are going to end up again with the same thing. They're going to end up with more and more clay and they'll start to go backwards. So it's important that you fix that soil every three or four years, probably, because that stuff breaks down. You get smaller particles. You get less air in the soil. So if you're growing perennials, things like that, then you want to lift them, divide them, mix some more organic matter in there and replant them. That's going to be the healthiest thing to do. But clay's important. You need some of that in anything that you're planting. Otherwise, if you you pour beautiful compost in there, but if there's nothing small enough to hold on to those particles of of the nitrogen from the rain. Which clay will. Right. Then it's going to go right through it, and uh, you're going to have a plant that's going to suffer. And that's what we see in a lot of these bulk soils. There really isn't anything in there, enough of anything to hold enough nutrients for them to really uh, be as happy as they want. Well, to be. And, and Jan texted me. She said, unfortunately, with inflation, Jim, your, your two cents worth is not worth a whole lot. Okay, <laughs> That's true. You know, But I agree with that. Now, And that's why, it, to me, especially if you've got raised beds and you're growing something like vegetables uh, or flowers, either way, but you're, you're changing out that crop every year. It's so easy to go in there and re-amend mm-hmm. that soil year after year after year, adding more compost, adding some good fertilizer, making sure the pH is up where it needs to be. But, Jim, even in your beds, you know, let's say now if you've got a, a shrub bed in front of your house, you know, it's, it's, not, it's impractical to think we're going to go out there and dig up our shrubs and re-amend the soil every three to five years. We can. But where you look, like you're talking about, whether you, whether you have a perennial bed. Yeah. You know, if you have a perennial that dies, when you dig it up, make sure you reamend the soil before you put another perennial back in that spot. A lot of people will go out there and they'll top dress with compost. And that's good on existing plants that you can't pick exactly. Dig up and move. Yeah. yeah. So I tell you, soil is uh, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> we just take. I mean, we yeah, we do. We just take it for granted. Well, I used to hear a long time ago that it takes about three years for your soil. For your plants to take hold. So I'm thinking, okay, that at that time, I'm not really thinking why that was recommended. But actually, what they were waiting for was for the soil web to get built up with all the organic matter so the plant can take off. But then if you start adding more, organor, more organic matter sooner, then your soil web builds sooner. Because, in, like you said, in three years, you've got to add more organic compost, at least, because the right. plant's taking all the nutrients out. I always add compost yearly, unless it's, you know, maybe like hollies or something like that. But I know a lot of y'all have heard, and you still say, well, I know it takes three years before anything happens, but it doesn't have to. If we add compost, root stimulators, and keep the moisture up, it's going to take sooner than three years. You know, it's kind of like the, the sleep, the creep, and the leap theory, mm-hmm. right? When yeah. you plant a, a shrub or a tree, you know, the first year it sleeps. It doesn't do anything, they say. Mm-hmm. The second year it kind of creeps around. Yeah. And then the third year it leaps. Well, because that third year, like you're saying, Veda, by then it is considered established. Uh, and that's just a matter of how established, how fast can you get these roots established. Mm-hmm. But if it, 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 they will establish much faster if you've got the right type of soil. And it's like Jim was saying, hit it right on the nail. He said, it also depends on what you're planting. Mm-hmm. You know? How your soil is going to be, yeah. And how your plant's going to react to that soil. You know, if 
like I planted a uh, a few years ago planted a um, a, a mock orange, mm-hmm. and it first year exploded. Yeah. I mean, it, it was like three feet tall, and that usually doesn't happen. Yeah, and but where I planted it, the soil was real good, and by the end of the season, it was at the eve of the house, mm-hmm. and I have to keep cutting it off now to keep it from going over the house. Um, so it, you know, it just happened to like where it is. I have just across the path a, a um, um, Sweet Bay Magnolia, and it took the second year. Second year, it just immediately started growing. Wow. You know, so it all depends on your current soil, what you do to it when you plant it, uh, and, and planting like- the right place plant place whatever you said earlier the plant right. in the right, the right place, place yeah. in the right plant yeah something yeah. like that <laughs> something like, well we missed that one all up yeah like you can see um okay look, i bought an elephant ear in a quart container this was last year and then of course you always have a few that just don't sell and they're sitting around they still look good but you know they're just enjoying them in their little container sitting out there on the shelf Well, after a couple of months, I think that one just kept getting pushed back. Nobody saw it. After a couple of months, I'm thinking, wait a minute. My elephant ear is three feet tall, huge and gorgeous. And this one still in the quart container is like maybe a foot tall with little leaves. So that's the whole difference in the soil and the container size. Because when I took it out of the little container and gave it room to grow, it's huge and big and beautiful. And then this one is still just hanging out, and it's, you know, it had no fertilizer left. It was still in peat moss, so it couldn't grow properly. I'm sure we didn't get it enough water when it needed. So there's all those little factors, and that can be carried over to your soil in the ground also. Well, and like you're saying, for containers, you know, the plant's only, only going to grow as big as the container would let it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and that's why so many plants, you know, especially when it comes to house plants, we let them become so root-bound, so pot-bound, and they really just stop growing. Yeah. Which uh, is sometimes good for indoors. Not a problem. <laughs> but when you know you take them out of that pot, you loosen the roots a little bit, use another good rich potting soil, put it in a bigger pot, not much bigger, but the mm-hmm. next size up, and then they'll start. They'll continue to grow. All right. Well, we're going to continue to help y'all grow after this break. Two six zero five nine two six. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call, 260-5926, or post your questions on Facebook Live. The Mighty 990? The Mighty 990. We can read them there. Or if you don't want to be on air, you can leave a message with Claire. Air, Claire, Claire, Air. She's our program Wonderful director. Claire. She'll yep. take care of us really good. And um, let's see. What were we? Were we in a topic we needed to continue? Well, let me say or? this, though. I was uh, The other night, my, it was my sister's birthday, Okay. And Gina and I were on our way over there after work. And she made a comment. She said, I I think your sister uh, has a company that sprays for, you know, mosquitoes. And I was like, you know, we we don't need that because I can do any spraying that we need to for mosquitoes. Like you bring peonies and daffodils home? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Did you ever do that? But, y'all, the the, the crazy (laughs) thing about this whole story was I said, you know, mosquitoes aren't even, even out yet. So uh, I'm in her house, and I'm in her kitchen uh, getting, a, you know, some food on a plate. And I'll be darned if a, if a dang mosquito as big as a June oh. bug was flying <laughs> around my head. And I'm thinking, okay, my bad. Mosquitoes are already out. And I know it's not too soon, y'all. So I wrote down this thing last night. Uh, they're already active. They're already out there. Now, they're not crazy like they're going to be yet. 
But if you're suffering from mosquitoes, okay? <laughs> suffering. <laughs> yeah, the people do suffer, baby. Because some people are so more uh, attuned to getting bit by mosquitoes than I am. I mean, oh, yeah. I just I can go out there, I can lay in the backyard, I can do yard work, and they won't bother me at all. Same here. My wife and my mother, my sweet mm-hmm. mother, they can stick their toe out the door and they're all over it. It is amazing, I'm telling you. So, you know, other than making it, you don't want to have breeding grounds in your yard. I mean, you don't want to have things that have a lot of, hold a lot of water. I mean, because mosquitoes have to have water to, and Jim's going, oops. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I mean, other than fish ponds, Jim, beautiful, you know, constructed fish ponds that you have and, uh, and ponds, I get all that. But if you've got just stuff that's holding water that shouldn't get rid of the water, that's first and foremost, or get rid of the thing that's holding the water. Secondly, if you do have things that hold water like ponds and, and so forth, there are products that you can throw in there that will kill the mosquito larva. Okay. And they're safe to use around me, you, the dog, the cat, the fish and everything and else. And a dog named Blue. And a dog named Blue. <laughs> but it doesn't hurt for you to go out there and spray your beds and your shrubs and your lawn and your tree and your annuals, your perennials with a like a permethrin type product or something in the permethrin family. Uh, these products are very safe to use. They kill a lot of different insects, including, of course, mosquitoes. They even help repel insects, including mosquitoes. Uh, at the same time, they're killing them. So you you don't have to live your life, uh, you know, inside looking out uh, because of mosquitoes. I'm not saying you're going to kill every mosquito you have. You're not going to. You never will. But you're going to reduce that population enough to where hopefully you can still enjoy the outdoors you know, starting this spring through the summer and fall. Jim's giving me They've been out a long time. You know, we've seen, you know, for mosquitoes for over a month now, but not, like you say, in huge numbers. Yeah. You know, every time we get a really cold spell, it seems to set them back a little bit. Knock them back a little bit. Yeah. But, but yeah, using permethrin, uh, if you have things like I do, I have have eight, six or eight lotus tanks, uh, a couple of uh, hundred-gallon, uh, water lily tanks, and then I have my water feature. It's got about a thousand gallons in it. Um, those can get mosquitoes even in them, even with fish, because there will be areas that yeah. the fish can't get to. When you get water lilies so thick that yeah. you can't see the water, uh, a lot of times you can still get them in there. But now, but Jim, do they tend to breed in water that is circulating? No. Yeah, almost always it's still water. Right. Uh, and inside my filter sometimes I can get little areas where there is fairly still water. But So I always keep just drop a, a mosquito dunk in there, do the same thing with the other ones. I break them up, throw little pieces down in there. Um, and about every 30 days or so refresh them. Yeah, and exactly. It, and it helps. <clears throat> it, you won't have any mosquito larva in there. Now... That doesn't say that your neighbors are going to do the same thing, you know. Exactly. They're going to yeah, co- exactly. they will come over there, you know. Mosquitoes are attracted to carbon dioxide primarily. So if you know, uh, sit up wind of anything. <laughs> well, and that was going to be my next question from. because a lot of these mosquito traps that you can buy now, uh, you you know, the more you read about mosquito traps, the more confused you are. <laughs> Uh, there are some they say that work really well. There are some that say that, that don't work well at all. Uh, you know, but I still like. Well, first of all, what do y'all think about mosquito traps? 
or do y'all still like to go out there and spray a permethrin and and do the right things and and trying to keep the breeding grounds you know yeah. at bay okay mosquito traps i think are you're it's just put the money in an envelope mail it to us yeah because right? it's they're not going to do a whole lot of good for yeah you. that's say that that's my theory yeah um Permethrin works. Yeah, it does. Know, and it, and or, it or helps, anything in the Permethrin It family. helps repel also, not so much right, kill. Right, uh, But you want to spray. The males don't bite you, but the males are there, and the females, and apparently they like each other. So spray your shrubbery, okay? That's where the males are hiding. They're feeding on plant juices. Uh, spray if you have overhanging limbs, you yeah. know, stand back, spray those. So, yeah. And so it, it will have a good repellent quality for probably seven to 14 days depending yeah. on the weather and how much rain we get yeah so it will you know spray your deck wood that's right you know, keep and up under the deck yeah keep the puppies off of it till it dries but i mean permethrin actually has a label for use on dogs and cats uh for flea control so it's i mean it's it's a know, good safe it's product. a good product so, uh, but yeah, you know, that's your best option to repel. If you're going to have something on the deck, you know, get out there the day before and spray the area. Yeah. And you won't be able to smell it if probably at all. And then, you know, if you know you're having a function, uh, like you said, go out there and do your spraying. But there's also the granulated mosquito beaters, mm-hmm. a lady that you know about, which works on a sense of smell. You can sprinkle those around the patio, the deck, whatever, wherever you're having a function. And that also helps uh, repel uh, mosquitoes. So yeah, and you kind of got to wait a little bit before you go out into the party. Yeah, throw it around the yeah. area. I'll put it out and early. Let it, yeah, and let it just subside some because we won't be able to smell it like the mosquitoes will. But at first, you but need it to was, wait. But it was weird. I was just, I mean, it was the funniest thing where we're talking about mosquitoes on the way to my sister's house. And sure enough, you know, an hour later, I've got this, this buzzard flying around my head. I mean, the biggest mosquito I've ever seen. I'm like, these things are already out you know we had a lady stop by the tent yesterday um when we were at the botanic gardens and she sat down and she goes okay myth or real i need to i need to know right now will scented geraniums repel mosquitoes well yes and no right like jim has said i mean if you if you velcro a hundred of them to your Mm -hmm. body and walk around you're probably not going to get bit that's what he said if you're sitting in a pasture of them I said, well, if you have them all around your patio, and then you'd have to rub on them to get the smell to uh, be more prolific for but, the But insects. it still helps, though. I, I mean, guarantee that you will never see a mosquito on a scented geranium. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But if you're sitting next to it. It'll be on you. Yep. yep. It will. It'll bite you. So, you know. Well, but maybe maybe you won't get bit as many well, there's times that, by that as many mosquitoes. Every because, little bit. Exactly. I have some offshore land in Florida I would love to sell you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and not only mosquitoes, but, uh, you know, other insects mm-hmm. also, uh, you know, whether it's lemongrass, whether it's the citronella, geraniums, yeah. um, uh, spraying with the permethrin used in the mosquito beater, granulated repellents. I mean, the more things we do, of mm-hmm. course, and putting deed on or whatever, yeah. uh, you know, the better off we're going to be. But I'm just telling you, if some people truly suffer when they go right. outside in the spring and summer because of mosquitoes. Yeah, see, I'm like, y'all, I don't, I've never got to try that out to see if it's true or not because mosquitoes don't bite me either. Yeah. Um, I have but, the best mos- mosquito trap is to take my wife outside. I was going to say, but anybody yeah. that I know that hates mosquitoes is not going to allow me to use them as a test specimen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> so keep that in mind, guys. I mean, don't you don't have to live your life indoors just because of the mosquitoes. And I tell you, and my mother, she is God bless her soul. She is. She sticks that foot out the door, and they're all over her. Yeah. You know? All right, so we busted one myth there. <laughs> I'm going to give everybody a little time as we take this break here shortly. Uh, another myth so, or a, a little piece of information. What would happen if today yeah. every honeybee died? Honeybee. Honeybee. Okay. What would happen? We would all starve to death. No. Okay. Let's, we'll see. you got to have pollination, Mr. Jim. We'll but, see. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. Okay. We're going to run we'll, to a break and figure y'all be thinking. Be thinking about that. Was it a that. honeybee? You know? You were talking Save about? the pollinators. Right, right. Save the pollinators. Yes. Hey. I know what they're all saying. Don't hurt the honeybee. I might be on your side. Let's see. Well, I'm going to throw that out there because Jim's going to have to... Prove it to me that that <laughs> wouldn't kill us. <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> Good morning and welcome back to Mid South Gardening. You know, I was, we were talking on the break, and I was thinking that one thing that, you know, when you go to an independent garden center, you get a lot of knowledge. You better. You get, yeah, you get a lot of good knowledge, and you can feel confident there. But there's um, people sometimes that come in and, and ask you for your knowledge, and you spend a long time just teaching them how to do it and explaining what would work good there and sure. how to do it and all that. Yeah. And then when you're finished, they go, okay, well, I'm going to go to a box store and get my plants. <laughs> and I'm like, I just spent this time educating you. You're paying for the education when also when you're at a garden center as well. So if you're going to go in and get a lot of information, well, then help the independents out yeah, by my, purchasing. Yeah, no doubt. And most people, I mean, they, they, they understand that and they enjoy going to independent garden centers because they like you just said know they can get the right information Mm -hmm. and that's what it's all about i mean i can go out and buy a plant that i've never heard of before and not have a clue of what to do with it and kill it two days later you Mm -hmm. know but that doesn't do me any good right right you know so i like to know it kind of what i'm doing and what i've got here and how to do it but also you know there's this thing uh that Jim was talking about. There's this thing called pollination. <laughs> oh, we were back on the bees. That's right. I knew there was something you know, we were coming and, and, back and, to. And we have to have pollination to mm-hmm. typically get fruits and vegetables and everything and, and flowers and everything else. Which, you know, to me, when I see honeybees, I'm thinking, that's the best thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Those are our little workers out there right. doing all this pollination, doing all the hard work where we can enjoy uh, the yields that come right. from this, okay? Yeah, and Jim was asking. So then he said a little, I mean, then he's t- kind of like turning his head, you know, uh, and, and shaking his head w- against our little honeybees, Veda. Mm-hmm. That's not right. Yeah. Well, the question was, what would happen if mm-hmm. today we lost all the honeybees? Can I give my answer? Because sure. it's going to Go be ahead. right. Yeah. <laughs> I want to hear it. <laughs> okay, my thoughts were that um, honeybees aren't your main pollinators. There's a lot of pollinators are really <clears throat> small that aren't honeybees. So that's my thought. Okay, so you are correct, but you haven't even thought you. I, I already that? told you we'd would all starve to death. Okay, <laughs> if we lost all the honeybees today, uh, worldwide honeybees are only responsible for about ten percent of the crops. So wow. you know we would not starve to death. Uh, in the United States, about thirty percent of the crops, <laughs> and most of that 
is almonds. So basically, wow. if we lost all the home, really thirty percent of that would be just just for that one crop only. Uh, well, no, almonds. a significant part of that thirty percent of our crops here yeah. in the t- is almonds. Right, right. So if we lost today all of the honeybees, basically the only thing you'd have to do without is almonds. Yeah. So, and right. the almond growers would be just mad as hornets. There's right? another marketing <laughs> technique right there. Right. Yeah, to turn you against something that's well, probably know, not happening. Yeah, the fact is honeybees were, aren't native to the United States. They were brought here to help pollinate crops, which it worked for what they were doing, but mm-hmm. they escaped into the wild. Yeah, of course. And they were fine for a long time. Okay, we saw them, you know, but then uh, as we grew, there was less food for them, but the varroa mite killed most of them. Okay, so yeah. it's not the fact that, you know, that, that we yeah. don't have a clover in our yards, you know, or we're mm-hmm. mowing our early dandelions, which our, is another our, myth because honeybees don't particularly like dandelions. Mm-hmm. The pollen is very poor quality. Or then I heard, you know, of course, imidacloropid, which is the insect Insecticide right. was killing them off. And then I even heard cell phone towers were killing them off. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah. the fact is honeybees are not our primary pollinators. And they are um, they are probably the reason we have lost about half of our native pollinators because they are <laughs> ferocious feeders. Okay. Uh, <laughs> or for, uh, voracious feeders, I mean. And they, are, they fly huge distances from their yeah. uh, hives to go collect pollen to make honey. Uh, so, so they're, I mean, so they're more a bu- kind of like a bully when it comes to, to collecting hauling yeah. uh, compared to our native mm-hmm. pollinators. You're saying, Jim. right? And they don't all look like <coughs> little bumble, cute bumblebees flying around our native yeah, pollinators. A lot of them bees. are tiny things. Sweat bees. Mm-hmm. There are good yeah. pollinators. Yes. Um, and everybody's slapping them and trying to kill them. Mm-hmm. Well, and then when somebody has like a beehive or, or beehives, Jim, mm-hmm. those are the the honeybees we're talking about. That's right. You know, uh, and they're great for bringing honey in, but yeah. they are actually detrimental to the pollination of things around them that are are uh, pollinated by our native bees. Now, they, they still can pollinate, but it, they're at the same time, like On you're some, saying. But a lot of plants, they can't because they're not... Uh, a lot of plants need vibrating p- insects to do that, and, yeah. which honeybees don't do. Um, tomatoes have to be pollinated by, by bumblebees. Right. So, you know, m- there are other honeybees. Even green flies are probably yeah. a better pollinator than um, than, honey than honeybees. Bee. That is amazing. So, you know, when you look at the science of it, they're, you know, if you're growing them for honey, then that's great. You know, like in Canada where they grow, I think, 19 million acres of rape for two things. One, to make canola oil. Mm-hmm. The other, to make honey. And it's all being treated with a metacloprid. So the metacloprid is not hurting those honeybees. Well, but remember when there was the honeybee decline, that's the, one of the chemicals they were the blaming big, it. They yeah, were blaming them, which <laughs> it turns out it has nothing to do with it at all. Well, that's sometimes I think it's a uh, um, chemical company's thoughts to not just to, to pick the thing that's the worst going on in the environment, but not knowing why and then selling something to kill it. Well, when when we're not <clears throat> studying why, like like uh, or saying, and then it follows the other side, people that want to fight against things that they think they know about, like for instance, we were thinking this whole time that the honeybees are dying out because of the chemicals. Well, that's somebody pushing that agenda too, sure. which oh, yeah. isn't accurate. Honeybees are crop, as far yeah. as farmers are concerned. Yeah, just as much a part of planting. Uh, harvesting 
the pollination is a part of that crop. Yeah. And there are, like you said, truckloads of something, uh, you know, I've forgotten how many millions of bee, uh, beehives mm-hmm. are, are taken across the country in January yeah. to be in Southern California <clears throat> to pollinate the almond crop. And wouldn't that stress them out enough to cause them to have issues? And that was you one know? of the issues. When you mm-hmm. start taking bees that might be infected with a varroa mite all the way across the country, you now have released that yeah. that mite into everywhere across. Mm-hmm. And that's why we've had this decline in honeybees because we just we've uncontrollably mm-hmm. spread the mite. Was I mean any- if you were a bee and you got put on an eighteen wheeler and drove all across the country, let back out and then you go I mean wouldn't that be stressful to a bee oh, yeah. or anything? It could and be. then 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 their mm-hmm. immune system's down so whatever comes along can attack them I, even I've better. Re- I've read articles where you know guys that had flatbed trucks loaded with them were actually taking and driving through car wa- truck washes <clears throat> to cool the hives oh, down because wow. they had gotten gotten hot. Well, how important is it to for us to plant would it be native uh, plants for the uh, native honey, the native, bees, yeah. well, the, the native, native pollinators. Bees, yeah. I mean, is is that an important gem, or are the I well? Mean, the issue is what you're planting. Okay, yeah. if, if you're growing a crop, okay, yeah. if you're a farmer, mm-hmm. that's and, one thing. Then you've got to have the pollinators <clears throat> present to right. do that. Blueberries <clears throat> have a very special bee that pollinates them. It's not a honeybee, right? Okay, so they are cultivating. They're planting enough of those, and there's enough pollinators, or they're growing enough of those to make that crop succeed. And that happens wherever it is. You know, wherever you need something, you know, they you know, bees, if they honeybees will can be used, then they're easy to transport to different areas across That's the right. country for That's pollinators. Right. So, you know, typically, though, for the homeowner, yeah. okay, you can't plant enough of anything yeah. to... Uh, help support a colony of bees. I mean, unless you've got a huge piece of property. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, you want to plant plant flowers, all kinds of flowers, natives, even non-natives. Okay. Sure. Everything helps. Um, and also, um, I had another, wildflowers. Okay. Yeah. That's where you're going to get real benefit for your natives. Plant wild, you know, just scatter wildflower seeds in areas between your perennials and let them come up and bloom. Uh, so th- those that well, helps your natives better. Well, I know that Jim convinced me that if all the honeybees disappeared, that I would not starve. Don't do right, that. Right. You will not starve to Unless, I, but I might get mad if I really loved almonds, though. Well, it see, that's the thing. It's like you My hear a lot trouble. of people. A lot of people are on the side of. Uh, let's let's um, cut back on the water that we use in the world. Let's uh, save the bees and and all of that. But if truth is, if we weren't growing the almonds, we wouldn't need that much water and we wouldn't have to transport bees. But then the people that don't want that to happen and you tell them you're losing the almonds, they go, okay, well, it's really okay. <laughs> <laughs> and think about this. The water that you're drinking mm-hmm. was made before the Milky Way galaxy Yes, isn't it was that in, here before that, that. before then? Before but, yeah, then. we've got this great aquifer below us. <laughs> before the earth was here, before the sun was here, that water existed. You mean it's just floating around with no earth? The water just floating out in the sky with no earth? Um, basically, yeah. <laughs> we got some crazy stuff going out in space right now, don't we? No wonder we're trying to grow things in NASA now. We just don't know what's going to happen anymore. All right, let's go to a break.
We've had some great conversations. And I want to hear your questions so we can have some great conversations about that, too. So give us a call, 260-5926. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all can join us this morning. We've had a good time and ready to have a good time, too. So um, responses to the questions, what's the sun exposure in the area? And we, we ask this questions a lot, like what is the sun exposure in your area? Well, or where, where's your stuff? Where do you want to plant? And they go, well, it's outside. Or it's shady when they have clouds. Oh, the sun goes around my house. The wife says, full sun. The husband <laughs> says, all shade. <laughs> it's oh, yeah. in my where's your son it's in my front yard oh yeah <laughs> it's on my back porch um just all these little things that you need to think about is where is your son or where is your shade because that's some of the big questions one of the questions that we ask when somebody says i need a tree or i need a shrub and the first thing i say do you need it for sun or for shade and sometimes they're a little confused and i can see why but when i say for sun it doesn't mean like all day sun you know, at least six or seven, six hours of sun is good. And then when you say for shade, you still want to, you, I mean, you can get away with shade with having four hours of sun, oh, but I've, it would still be shade. I've seen that glossy look in people's eyes so many times, mm-hmm. you know, because like you said, they... And they look at you and they say, it gets a good bit of sun. Right, yeah, yeah just like that, <laughs> yeah. But here in the Mid-South, I mean, full sun is a, like I've said a thousand times, it, it is a brutal place to grow anything. Uh, and, you know, something that says needs more sun than shade, I, I mean, typically half a day sun is more sun than you would ever need. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, whether it's, you know, from 6 o'clock in the morning till noon, uh, you know, morning sun, or whether it's from noon to 8 in the afternoon, uh, afternoon sun. Half a day of sun is a lot of sun. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, like. Half a day of sun, though, is 12 hours. Well, that's true, too, Jim. You're exactly right. Right. Well, yeah, that way, too. A yeah. quarter of the day yeah. is full sun. But, you know, like on patio <laughs> containers and all that, by swimming pools, you know, stop it. By swimming pools and all, you can grow stuff in full sun, like hibiscus and palms and all. But you really need to keep the watering bumped up a lot more and the fertilizing bumped up more, too, to let them withstand that whole hot sun time. Because, you know, like in Florida, all those stuff grow out in full sun all day. But somehow our sun's just worse right here in the Memphis, it seems. So they, a lot of times plants don't want that full sun in Memphis that they can take in other areas. Well, and a lot of times, you know, unfortunately people would look at a label also. And that label would say plant in full sun. Uh, well, you know, in cooler regions like Michigan and those areas, you know, yeah. it does perfectly fine in full sun. I'm not saying you can't grow it in full sun here, but it, it could be a little challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, when it comes to, you know, growing I, things out there where it's in full baking sun, uh, you know, water comes in, you know, it's an issue, Jim. Mm-hmm. And that's where a lot of people overwater their plants. You know, they think the more water I give this thing, the healthier it's going to be. Well, we were talking about clay earlier. Uh, you know, we see so many dead plants that have been overwatered, whether we're doing it or whether it's under irrigation or whether the soil hadn't been prepped the right, the right way. And a lot of these plants, especially the first year that they plant them, you know, they think they got to go out there. We, we think 
that you got to go out there with the water hose on a daily basis and soak these plants because it is in a full sun area. And that's probably one of the worst things you can do, you know. Well, so for full sun plants here, there's so many sun plants and annuals. But when I'm really wanting like a, a flowering plant that you could feel confident it can take the sun all day. Sure. And you don't have to water excessively and you want it to look good would be like the moss rose, the lantana, vinca. Oh, yeah. The periwinkle, periwinkle. vinca. Um, what other Bronze leaf begonias, dragon wing begonias. Yeah. Salvia. Salvia. Angelonia. Yeah, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the angelonia does good. But, you know, some of the things, well, you know, like petunias do good, really. Long as they're getting good drainage and adequate moisture and great compost, but I see some petunias kind of getting sad when they're just getting that full sun the whole time. Well, and, but that's my whole point, though. I mean, if you're growing something in full sun, and most plants love as much sun as you can give them. In fact, mm-hmm. you got to be real specific when you're dealing with plants that need more shade. But it still comes down to a matter of soil prep and moisture. Like you were yeah. talking about earlier, Veda. And, you know, we're just, we're, it, it seems by default we're going out there and overwatering our plants that grow in full sun. Talking about bedding plants. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, you know, I don't want to mislead anybody. You have to water. But I'd rather be slightly underwatering than grossly overwatering, to be honest with you. So so um, what plant do I mean when I say wigula? Wigilia. Wigilia. <laughs> I love that. Wigilia is an awesome plant, but so many people call it wigula. So I had to throw that out there. I love it. But there's a, a wigula blooming right now. That's Wigilia, that, baby. Yeah, that more, <laughs> mo colorful is what it's called. M O colorful. Um, mo colorful. Yeah, Wigilia. And it's variegated foliage, but it's full of buds and it's fixing to bloom so pink and beautiful now. That's something that y'all should try out. That's a good showstopper. Yeah, it's not a huge (laughs) one at all. It stays like more on the slower, uh, lower realm. Sometimes, you know, they they can be evergreen almost through the whole winter unless we have these ups and downs. Oh, but when they're blooming, there's nothing like them. And and Mm -hmm. then, you know, I wrote down a couple of showstoppers uh, in my notes. One of them is the uh, the phantom tree-formed hydrangea. And the pinky winky tree formed hydrangea. Ooh. Those are those paniculata varieties that, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like the limelights that, you know, love as much sun as you can give them. Talking about things that grow in the sun, Beta and Jim. But they've been tree formed. So if you're looking for a specimen plant, whether you're putting this thing in the ground or whether you're putting this thing in a container, uh, and something that blooms most of the summer, you can, like I said, they're showstoppers, mm-hmm. I'm telling you. They'll, they'll have these beautiful blooms, and uh, it, it's a tree-formed, uh, and they're hardy. You know, they come back mm-hmm. every year for you. So Yeah, so you're saying they're a standard trunk, <clears throat> one trunk. One trunk, And then off trunk. the trunk, it's like a bush. Like a ball on top. at the top. Yeah. And they can get rather large to be a small ornamental tree, actually. And, and the phantom yeah. uh, tree-formed uh, hydrangea, which is a, you know, a sun-loving hydrangea, it actually is is a hydrangea, kind of like the limelights, but it has bigger and longer blooms. It's got it's one of the biggest, longest blooms of the paniculata hydrangeas. Yeah, the uh, bloom then, size. Yeah, bloom yeah. size. And then the pinky winky, of course, it has the white blooms that turn, has some pink in oh, there. Oh, you're a cute pinky, pinky winky. Pinky winky, yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, I wrote those two down as, as, as showstoppers for sure. You didn't put Jim's name on there for a showstopper. Oh, no, no, Lord, no. <laughs> and then and, and, and another cool plant, I wrote uh, uh, Miss Scarlet Elysium. 
Um, that is a beautiful one. It is. Which it, color is that bloom? It has the red, the it maroon bloom on it. Uh, but the it, nice. it's an Elysium of uh, Florida anise is what it is. Oh, okay, thank you. Uh, I'm going Elysium. Yeah, it's yeah, okay. Elysium, not Elysium, right? Okay. Uh, but Miss Scarlet in particular gets about four to six foot tall, has brilliant star-shaped crimson blooms. Uh, it can grow in part shade to full shade, to be honest mm-hmm. with you, and it can surely tolerate even wet conditions. Uh, so it's a great evergreen uh, for a shaded environment. Um, and after a good heavy rain, you'll have this fragrance of licorice. Yes, uh, you will. Through your garden. You will. I just yep. go outside and crush the leaves yep. and think about childhood and eating licorice. It's a gr- great plant. <laughs> if you like licorice. <laughs> but that's Miss Scarlet. Uh, you know, check that out. And also, like I said, those uh, those phantom and those uh, pinky-winky tree-formed hydrangeas. And they require a little different pruning. If you, know, you want to maintain those big blooms, then it needs to be trimmed uh, sometime January or so remove all the twiggy stuff, leave the main branches, and then when those branches come out, they'll have large blooms on them. If you leave them alone, they'll twig up. They'll have probably more flowers, but they'll be smaller. Which which is fine with me also. I have a number of um, hydrangea paniculatas, and I have one that has a multi-trunk. I've trimmed a tree form. It's got sacred lilies and ginger and Solomon seal up underneath it. Um, you know, you could have just mulch up oh, under it. Oh, so but you're no. talking about the blooms on the hydrangea. Right. I thought you were talking mm. about on the Elysium. No, no. Okay. No. Yeah, because the blooms on the Elysium are different and fun and cute. Yeah. We're going to take a break again. We've got another hour. So look forward to y'all calling 260-5926. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all can be here with us on the third hour. If you've missed some of it or kind of went to sleep, you know how you're just chilling out. Kind of go in and out. Yeah, in Mm. and out. Then you can catch us on our podcast, and you can um, listen to that anytime if you're, if you're having trouble picking us up now to go to kwamradio.com, you can stream mm-hmm. us that way. And you give us a call, 260-5926, 260-5926, or you can go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text. Um, or we'll, you can reach me and Beta and Kenneth anytime yeah. on our Facebook group, Mid-South Gardening. Join us. We just crossed 7,500 members uh, this too. week, so uh, we're excited, and we're getting uh, lots of new ones every day. That is truly unbelievable. Please, if you join, answer the questions, okay? Uh, and, and they're just simple questions. He we, means answer the questions about to join, not did you yes, have to answer. Right. <laughs> yeah. you know, well, people do answer the questions also. They yeah. leave their comments on when people post uh, pictures yeah. and questions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. Um, hey, guys, this to me is also the time of year. You know, we talked about the hydrangeas, the phantom and the pinky winky, and we talked mm-hmm. about the Miss Scarlet Elysium, which I love for a shaded environment that tolerates wet soil. But also, this is also the really the time for, for roses. And, you know, I'm, I'm beginning to really, I think, love some of these shrub roses. You know, Jim, <laughs> and i got to just say this, and, and there's, there's three that I wrote down. There was the, the, the Grace and Grit Roses, mm-hmm. the Drip Roses, awesome. and, and, and even the Double Blooming Knockouts, okay? I was, you know, I've always kind of blown off Knockout Roses, 
because of just what they were. It was a mm-hmm. shrub rose. It wanted, to me, a real rose. But these double-blooming knockouts, I was looking at them yesterday. They were in full bloom, and they looked absolutely gorgeous. I'm telling yeah, you. Yeah, I think I'm liking them more than the single. Yeah, one. oh, yeah, no doubt about it, because it, it looks mm-hmm. more like a rose. And later. that grace and grit that you just talked about, incredible. Well, the, uh, the, 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 to me, it depends on what size you need. You know, there's, there's dripped roses that only get, you know, three to four foot tall. There's the grace and grits that get four to five foot tall, and then there's the knockouts that get, you know, five to seven mm-hmm. foot tall. Um, so depending on what shrub rose you're looking for uh, would dictate really to me what type of rose, mm-hmm. shrub rose you should purchase, okay, because of the, the, the size, the height of the size. But, um, but drift roses, um, they're great. Uh, you know, a, a drift rose is actually a hybrid between a miniature rose and a knockout rose. That's what it is. Yeah. It's it's a it's a hybrid. Isn't that amazing? And they crossed yeah. a, a miniature rose with a knockout and rose to come with a, a drift. A and, drift. And then the grace and grit roses, made, as you know, the Monrovia uh, grace and grits, beautiful shrub roses also. Tons of different colors of blooms, extremely disease resistant, easy to grow. I mean, nothing to it. And whether it's in a bed or whether it's in a container, uh, you can't go wrong. And they get just a little taller for the most part than the dripped roses. Mm-hmm. And then these double-blooming, and Jim, I know Jim shakes his head at me every time I mention knockout, but these double-blooming knockout roses that I was looking at yesterday that are in full bloom, um, they, they're beautiful. I mean, they look just to me like a regular rose. Now, I'm not saying you've got to go out there and plant 800 roses in your landscape and then get witch's broom on every one of them, right, Jim? But, it's, I mean, it's, it's something to look at, though. If you want color. Uh, and you want an easy-to-grow rose. That blooms all summer. All summer long. You mm-hmm. can't go wrong with any of those. The grace and grit, the drip roses, uh, or the to be the double-blooming knockout roses. You just can't go yeah. wrong. We have the grace and grit, grit planted, and it's a white one, and it blooms from soon as we get warm, oh, you yeah. know, like right now, all the way to December, basically. And I've got the most beautiful rose I've never seen before, but I just got some in stock. I don't know what the name is. Well, but Just any any rose, I mean, is. but there's hybrid teas and grandiflores and floribundas yeah. and climbers, and then well, the shrub roses. Well, this one looks like a like a Joseph coat, but in a shrub form. Well, I was talking to, a, and Cheryl, hang on just a second. I was out uh, with a customer yesterday, and we were even looking at the David Austin roses, the English roses, and there was another lady out there that had was already looking at them, and she looked at me. She said, "These are the only roses that I grow. This is mm-hmm. it. I only grow David Austin roses." And mostly because of the fragrance, you know. But there's so many other roses out there that have wonderful, wonderful fragrance. But well, that's this one. I wish I could tell you all the name of it, but it even smells great. I don't. I cannot I'm tell glad you the it's name. Just but not me that forgets right, what in the world's happening. Tell you but, the but, name. But Jim, what is your take though? And Cheryl, there again, hang on one second. What is your take on on these shrub roses, like I just mentioned, the knockouts, the the drifts, and the grace and grits? Well, I think yeah. I personally consider them annuals. Yeah. Okay. Because we do have the the virus that's going through primarily shrub roses and miniatures of drifts. Those are the because they're so compact, yeah. so full. They are the most likely ones to to have mites get caught in the foliage and bring the virus. So the rose rosette, the witch's broom that we talked right. about, is spread by an airborne mite. And right. you're saying since they are so thick, they they're catch just them, little catcher. They mitts. catch them. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, uh, but you know, up north they they treat an- roses as annuals. You know, because you get such a magnificent display in the first year. 
Yeah. You know, I think that's the way that we need to think of them here because of the disease. And because if, although they say don't plant one back in the same place, but it's not going to get the disease and so, show significant damage. Within that first year, growing year anyway. Year. Yeah. Right. So I see no problem with putting them back in. And especially in containers because they bloom right. their heads off, I'm yeah. telling you. For so. 30 bucks for a good quality number one rose, yeah, yeah. you cannot get more color. Yeah, great. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, I was, yeah, I was looking on Instagram. I post um, on the Palladio Garden Instagram. I post pictures of what we get in on the stories. And I remember I posted a picture of that rose. So I'm trying to read the tag. And it's a, uh, so far I've got champion. It's a champion shrub rose. That's it. Okay. It's amazing. So um, let's go to Cheryl. Thanks for the call, Cheryl. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Good morning. I love your show. Hey, Cheryl. Thank you, babe. Two questions. Yes, ma'am. Is is now the time to put netting on my blueberries and blackberries? And then the other question? The other question is I have an invasion of a low-growing, thin-stemmed, it might be either a wild blackberry or dewberry. Mm. Right now, it has white flowers on it right. and runners all over. And somehow, it's all over my whole backyard. Hmm. Is that um, one of those <coughs> wild roses with the white blooms on it, do you think? Well, it could well, be a blackberry, yeah. too. Or is it too early? I don't yeah, I don't know what it is. I, I it has little white flowers, kind of in the shape of a dogwood, but they're not a dogwood. And they're growing growing in a in a bedded area or are they actually growing in your lawn area, Cheryl? No. Well, in in the bedded area. How how tall are they? <clears throat> they well very maybe about six inches. Okay. And they have thorns some kind of sharp thorns on them. A little yeah. bit of a sharp thorn. Okay. It does sound that wild rose. Uh, no, it's probably. It wild um, rose. That's what I was thinking. It might be more in the wild rose area. It kind of looks like it might be with the thorns. And the last question, but, Cheryl, is do they, where they're growing in this back bed area, do you have other desirables that are in that area? Yeah, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. I do. All right, starting with the blueberries and the nettings, uh, no, you can start netting blueberries at any point. Now, typically, you don't really need to net them until they start producing, you know, fruit. And that's when, you know, the birds and everything else just love to come take them away from from you after Mm -hmm. you did all the hard work. But it's not saying that you can't go ahead and net your blueberries now if it's convenient. Uh, But, of course, there's nothing to protect at at this moment. So whether you do it now... Cheryl, or whether you wait till later on when they just start producing and put a net over them at that point, it, it, maybe it really doesn't matter. So that's that's really not a problem. Now, when it comes to this little woody, white-blooming thing that's in your back bed, um, and if it's invasive, you know, you, of course you want to try to get rid of it sooner than later. Yeah, whatever it's called. Right. right? Yeah. Uh, now, and of course, there the two choices are either you, you know, dig it out of there or you go in there and you spot treat with something like a Roundup type yeah, product. My gut feeling is it's burrweed, but I'd need to see a picture. Yeah. Uh, it's very thorny, comes up as white, uh, sometimes a purple flower, but most of it's white um, and extremely thorny. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. and has tiny little, like you said, uh, almost, almost like, like a dogwood wild, flower. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the mm-hmm. reason, and the reason I mentioned Roundup, Cheryl, is other than digging it up. You can go out there and spot treat, just selectively spray what you want to kill with a Roundup type product. Or just okay? take, put, make, pour some in a, in a little cup and paint it on. Spain, you, sponge it on. Yeah, if you've got other plants around that you're concerned oh. about it getting on, just just paint the leaves a little bit right. and it works really well. But the beauty of it is, is it's not going to leach and kill everything around where you spray. It's only going to kill what it comes in contact with. Um, so, mm-hmm. But you still want to be selective, of course, because you don't want to kill anything that's desirable out there. Uh, and normally I would say use a brush killer, but a brush killer you, you can move through the soil and, and hurt things uh-huh. that are in that back bed. So in this case, uh-huh. either just try to you know selectively dig them out. If it's way too many, then like Jim was saying, go out there and just uh, either spot treat with uh, Roundup or, uh, or sponge the Roundup on the foliage of these weeds. So should I try to pull pull up most of that bush first, and then just try to round up the stem? No, the ground? no, it needs no. to. You need to have the foliage on there. Yeah, that's the way it absorbs uh, the product. The more foliage you have, the more product you can get on the foliage, and it will absorb that and go down and kill the root and all. Now, I'm not saying you might have you might have to do it more than one time, Cheryl, but if you do it that way, you will get rid of that stuff back there. Yeah, that and. I could do poison ivy the same way. You most definitely can. Yes, ma'am. And then, Uh you know, get on a pre-emerge program, too, so that you can stop this from coming up next year. That's once everything's clean, Jim. Yeah, yeah. Just, you know, that that's oh, going to be your be- best way to stop it. Now, what about if she had blueberries back there or blackberries? Um, then I would use Treflin. Yeah. Okay, around those. For the pre-emergent? Yeah. Okay. It, for ornamental yeah. beds, I'd use Dimension. But yeah. for anything where you're growing vegetables, crops, then I would go to Treflin. Do, um, do the blackberries need netting on them, too? Do the birds like Oh, them? they will. They love them. Yes. Yes, ma'am. And then they'll, you know, they'll get above your car and let you know all about it. <laughs> So what I'm doing with my blackberries is they sometimes last year they just grow real tall and break through the netting. So this year I'm yeah. I'm bending them over and making them more across the garden like a, a grapevine. Right. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Perfect. Cheryl, I'm telling you, because if you don't get out there with that netting, everything out there, these varmints love these things more than we do. So you'll be left with none, I promise you. Okay, so so I'm I'm doing good then to let the vine the blackberry vines carry them over like a grapevine. Right? Absolutely, yes, yeah, right. yes, ma'am. Because they get too tall and break through the netting. Yeah, right. Yes, you'll get better blackberries with them being uh, uh, vertical you anyway. Are wonderful, you are wonderful. We can't thank you enough. Oh, well, thank <laughs> you. Thanks, Cheryl. Have a great That's weekend, awesome. dear. Thank mm. you, dear. Bye bye. Yes, ma'am. I'm just thinking of. Blue, horizontal. Uh, yeah, did I say vertical? You That's did. Con- well, left is right and right is left, so y'all just need to know it's going to be backwards from what I say. I sat there and thought that out in my head, too. So I think horizontal. Maybe, you know, sometime in the near future, we're going to have a couple of contests here, and mm-hmm. that would be one. We'll have a show where uh, people count what Vita says that they absolutely don't understand. Right. Okay. Right. And then one we're going to count with with how many times Kenneth says, "I'm telling you." Oh, I never <laughs> noticed that. Now I'm going to yeah. notice that. <laughs> and the correct winner is going to get a coffee cup. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And then well, we're going to also also 
Mm-hmm. You know, one 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 show we're going to count how many times Jim is just being a smart aleck. Okay, okay. I'll say come <laughs> up with something here. Well, well I can pick a really large number and likely win. Uh, I had somebody tell me one time, "Hang on, I got this. I speak Vader's language. I'll tell you." Oh. So now I don't know. I don't know what's happening. Well, when we hey, when break, we get back, I've I got guess, a uh, I got yeah. a texter, uh, and I know we got to go to a break, and I just lost it here, and I apologize. I'm going right to it now. Um, it was one of those, the, the, the question was from Diane Lyons. She says, looking for a suggestion for a fragrant climbing rose. So we'll address mm-hmm. that when we get All back. right. And I want to talk about rooting hydrangeas too. So we'll be right back. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all could be here with us this morning. Let's see. The other contest we're going to have is uh, we're going to have people count how many times that they don't agree with me. Oh, there. That's good. <laughs> you know, good. it's like like our good friend Jamie who says, we love your show, although we don't, don't agree, agree with, with you. you. All the time. We'll throw that all the time in there. I love Jamie. Like I said, we had a texter type in. Uh, of course, if you want to give us a call this morning, 260-5926. 260-5926, or you can uh, to give us a text on the Mighty 990 Facebook page. And if you want to listen to us, uh, kwamradio.com. And you can always go back and listen to the podcast if you miss us. Live, but the texture of Miss Diane line, she said, looking for a suggestion for a fragrant climbing rose. Well, the first one that comes to my mind is a beautiful red blooming climbing rose called Don Juan. D O N J, what A U N, Jim? Don Juan. Don Juan. That uh, is Juan a, is W A N. Whatever. <laughs> but Don Juan is a beautiful red blooming fragrant climbing rose. Um, that blooms on first year wood, and you can even grow it as a bush rose. Yeah. So, but what about the? I mean, could I guess you know some of the English roses yeah. we could still consider right. climbing, yeah. even though they're not tr- they're not a true climber. What's mm-hmm. uh, Druin? What's the, uh, the Zephyrine Druin? Yeah. Yeah. That oh, one. Like a pink tolerates some. And shade. we sell tons of that. Very rose fragrant. Also. And climbing blooms ble- better if it's. Horizontal. Horizontal, right. <laughs> so now if I can act it out. Most most roses, most climbing roses, are they're technically ramblers because they don't attach to anything. Right. They bloom best on horizontal wood. So the first year you get upright growth and you get, if you're lucky, some flowers. A lot of them won't bloom first year. But then you want to train those over as they're coming up so that you get them horizontal. And then the following year you'll have lots of flowers. But yeah, how's, so how's me, that leg cramp know, over there yeah, doing? Excuse me why I go over here and kick Kenneth's leg to make him forget about the leg cramps. Yeah, oh yeah, he these can't garden sit in his center here. issues. These these gardeners have all these issues. Yeah, leg cramps, uh, for example. But so Don Juan and Zephyrine Druin. Don Juan's the red. Zephyrine Druin uh, is the pink. Uh, and like you said, Jim, uh, the Don Juan will even bloom on first year wood because a lot of your old fashioned climbers. You know, they'll bloom this year really off of last year's growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of these newer, even some of the old ones, but a lot of the newer hybrids uh, bloom off the same year's growth when it comes to climbers. So that's why you never go in there, typically speaking, and cut your climbing roses back, say, in you know, mid-February, early March, hard, like you do your shrub roses and your other type of roses. Because if you do that, you're cutting off a lot of the blooming tissue. So we're going Don Juan is a climber that smells good. English roses smell good. 
Isn't there and then that flower, New Dawn, yeah, I think, is the probably one. the most prolific bloomer that I've ever seen. Right, but it, but to me, New Dawn, which I love, and we sell more of those than we do anything, is kind of that blush pink. Uh, there's a white Dawn also, but it, it's not a, to me, it's not the true rose look mm-hmm. like a Don Juan and like a mm-hmm. Zephyrine Druin. Uh, it's more of a, it's a smaller bloom. You get a million of them, uh, but there, it's not that, that, ro- that typical mm-hmm. rose look to me you know joseph coat does really well here but i don't see that used a whole lot yeah i, I love that flower on that i don't know if it's a fragrant one but it's a beautiful yeah and jo- the joseph's coat is is kind of a it's your mixed bag uh, mm-hmm. it's got so many different colors of blooms on Hence the same joseph coat yeah exactly <laughs> and we sell a lot of those too veda so but i would be don juan uh, or zephyrine druin or look at some of the english roses uh, if you're looking for the fragrance, Diane, I'd go from there. Um, then, well, yeah, rooting hydrangeas. So I was scrolling through something, reading something, and I caught reading. I caught uh, rooting hydrangeas, and then I saw a picture, and I thought, really, no wonder people have a hard time because if you look at that picture, that's not how to root a hydrangea. I mean, they they cut the they just pinch the tips out of it. And there's a whole bunch of foliage, and then they just set it in the top of the cup. And what kind of hydrangea was it? Just you know? a regular pink or microphilia. blue. Yeah. yeah, there's just rooting hydrangeas. <clears throat> but when you think about it, it doesn't look like you pulled the tip off of a plant and stuck it in the top of the soil. You're actually wanting to take a cutting that's like five to six inches long, and then you take the bottom leaves off because the roots will come from those nodes, and you put rooting hormone and you put it down in the soil. But you also have to cut the leaves, like almost half of a leaf just where it's got a the little few bit leaves of that you left. leave left on the yeah, top yeah because <clears throat> it can't how you can't root or you can't put a stem in the ground and expect it to hold all that foliage on top right yeah so and then i looked back and it said stock photo well that means somebody that just writes an article that doesn't know much about it just was cruising through photos and going oh this must be what it looks like and it's not even mm-hmm. accurate. Well but yeah. also when you take your cutting Veda uh, you're not you're really not wanting the very softest of the new wood. You want to go back into what they call semi old wood. Uh, it doesn't have to be old tissue but you know I mean and, and I've seen cuttings you know even 8 to 10 inches uh, cut it at an angle, cut it at a slant, if you will. Mm-hmm. Take all the bottom leaves off off that cutting, like you're talking about, leave a few at the top, and then kind of rough up the bottom of that cutting. Just kind of scour that bark. You wet it, you stick it in that rooting powder, like you're talking about the root tone, and that root tone, that powder would just stick, stick to that, yeah. that cutting. And then when you push it down in your potting soil, make sure you poke a hole yeah. in the potting soil first, set that cutting down in there and push that dirt back around it. As long as you keep it warm and keep it moist, um, you can easily get a cutting off hydrangeas. And if you don't have rooting mm. hormone, and but you're in the mood to do this right now, and you don't want to run off to the store, use if you've got the seaweed because it's a rooting <laughs> hormone also uh, to water with. That's going to help a lot uh, with the rooting happening quicker as well. And then after the, we got to go in about forty-five seconds. Yeah. You may have a chance to answer this. This is the one I'm always wondering about. Is it a season time? Uh, I haven't played with it, but Putting a plastic bag over your plants to root this time of year, wouldn't you just root them outside? Or should we still have the little dome until they root? We'll go over that when we get back. You can call us 260-5926.
Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Garden. Still have a lot of things to go over, but um, on the hydrangea rooting thing, there's always where you can lay the stem down, put a brick on it or something. You, you yeah. stole my thunder. I mean, Did people I, do that all the I time. I finally stole your thunder. Especially on the old <laughs> macrophilias, the, you know, the pinks and the blues. Mine you know, the do it shape. on their own. I'm always <laughs> trying to cut them off of there, you know, because they're infringing on something else. But, you, yeah. but, but, but you're right, Jim, but if you're doing it on purpose, you know, you take one of those bottom limbs and you just kind of... Uh, lay it down on the ground, if you will. Put some dirt on top of it. Put a brick on top of that, and that will form a root yeah. uh, on that point right there. And then later on, you can cut that and uh-huh. make it. You know, you have a brand new plant that so you you've can got plant. a root ball and all. Right. Okay. Wait. So the so you've got the stem on the ground. Yep. And then you put the brick and it. Well, rooted. you put you put dirt on yeah, top of it. Yeah. Put the dirt and then it rooted. So you've got these roots right here. So you're going to lift it out and put it in a bucket. But where's the stem going to be? That's where you need to. Once you've got a good root and you dig it, and if you're going to put it in a bucket, is cut the thing off. That mm. growth is going sideways, so it'll generate stems that will come up and okay. go upright. You know, a lot of plants, if you take a cutting from a low limb, like on a holly that's um, like an eagleston or something that's, um, pyramidal Which blows growth. my mind. If you take a cutting from the side, it will s- go sideways. Okay, you need to cut from an upright stem to get mm-hmm. one that wants to go upright. That's amazing. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, they're kind of pre-programmed to do that. So once you get a, a side cut, something laid down and, and rooted, then knock the tips out of them. That's all you have to do mm-hmm. is take that out, and that will, those auxins that will cause the new growth will kick all along the the, the uh, stem there and push it upward yeah um should you prune at a different angle like we always prune at a 45 degree angle but if you pruned it the 45 degree the wrong way would the stem grow down or would it try to grow back uh, no up? and your bud's always going to form on the top okay okay I don't know if it's gravity or sunlight or what, but mm-hmm. they're not dumb enough to go down. <laughs> <laughs> or smart enough. Which might Either be a good way, thing. Yeah. Right. Now, I, you know, I have planted rose cuttings upside down. Right. You know. Does, and did you get results? Yeah, yeah. You know, when I stuck the cutting, instead of putting the bottom end down, I put the wrong end in mm-hmm. the sand. So it roots. And then when you plant it, you'll see the buds come out and they'll curl upwards. Uh. And your roses <laughs> will face up. They just have this little curly Q base on them. Oh. But then it corrects itself oh, after time. Okay. I'll so say, do we get a bonsai rose? Or? Yeah. No, it eventually fixed fixes itself uh, that truly is amazing we haven't talked about house plants very much we always have to have a throw a little bit of house plant in there well are you trying to think about maybe taking some of your house plants outdoors at the very least wash them down yeah. clean them up you know wipe them mm-hmm. down and then even if you take them back inside right uh, because at least take them out clean them up well i wanted to tell you that there is and i was told and jim now there's an eyelash fern it's yeah. not hardy here <laughs> An eye yeah. lash yeah, it, fern. I had to look it up after she mentioned it yesterday, and it's uh, it, it really kind of unusual. Yeah, it looks like false eyelashes because it's you know that I've long gotta and thick. I've got to look this up. I can't even imagine what a, what 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 that would it's look like. It's like a, I'm sure it's hardy in the Amazon or something, you know. But it's going to be great for indoors. So if you're looking for something different, y'all look around for an eyelash. That fern. Is, is that a hybrid? Is that something no. we made, or is it a no? It's, it's a natural a, it, it's native. A natural. And it, you know, at some in, point, 
when she described it to me, I thought, first thing I thought is it's a selaginella. And yeah. it does look a lot like some selaginella. Which is almost like a ferny. Yeah. Look, you but know? this yeah. this is, uh, it's, it's, it kind of looks like a fishtail palm. Okay. Yeah. All, all of the um, leaflets come off the end of the frond. You got it. And the frond mm-hmm. stem is, is bare. So and it just, so it's got just these eyelashes that hang over there. You know? It's amazing. There's so many new things like the philodendrons. First off, I had no idea there were so many varieties of philodendrons, mm-hmm. and they're hybridizing them more and more. But there's a silver leaf and a yellow leaf and a dark green leaf and a climbing and on down the line. So, um, you know, philodendron used to just be one green little trailing plant. That yeah. was it. You're going to get a philodendron. That's what you're going to get. Or the pothos. The yeah. pothos. Everybody has a pothos. Oh, yeah. Small leaves, just the green and Variegated. white, maybe, or mm-hmm. yellow. But now there's all flavors of pothos. Big leaves, little leaves, soft leaves, velvety leaves. But 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 what do you want to do with houseplants this time of year? Do you just leave them alone? Leave them where they are in the house? It's or do like, you like taking yours out and really washing them up, cleaning them up, cutting anything that's defunct mm-hmm. off of there? feeding them and then of course you can take them back inside you know you know i've been because there's a lot of younger people that are doing this now and they've got uh tons of house plants and it's an apartment yeah with no balcony so so they're being uh more of a indoor gardener they're working harder instead of just buying a plant sitting on the table they're working harder at turning it properly getting the right amount of light checking the water doing everything attentively like you would in your own garden but for me i i just love taking them all out because there's mm-hmm. lots of room to to mm-hmm. work pruning the dead off mm-hmm. adding worm castings on the soil Which to I replenish yep. it yeah if they're really heavy then maybe your soil's too light i mean too heavy and jim what, and what i mean are there some that you wouldn't want to move or well if i had a large plant yeah. uh, dracaena large dracaena large ficus yeah. or anything like that and it's happy where it's at, I would leave it and yeah. let it go through the natural light changes that yeah. it would as the seasons progress. Now, I do a lot of small six, eight inch pots with uh, pr- primarily succulents. Yeah, and uh, that's why I was asking you a question cactus. because I know you take yours out from time to time. I do. I have yeah. mine are in the garage during the winter time, and yeah. during the summer they're out, but they're they're on racks and they're underneath the uh, cover so they yeah. can't get rained on. Any water they get, I have to give them because, like I said, these are more cactus succulent right. things that like it a little drier than most just of them. But we have some like the tropical, the. Uh, uh, um, epiphyllums, the night blooming cereus, those type plants, they need uh, they need a good bit more moisture than the other ones do. Because so. I mean, you mentioned ficus a while ago, and the Dracaena, larger plants. Because I know with the ficus, uh, you can just move the ficus, even if you just took it outside to wash it off, mm-hmm. clean it up really good, and took it back in. Just by moving that ficus, you know, you can lose some leaves. That's right. Turn it one quarter turn, and it starts shedding. Um, you know? Yeah, <laughs> so. exactly. But I still I still like the idea, though, of getting those things cleaned up, washed off. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, uh, Veda, put some earthworm castings on the top of that soil. Go ahead and feed them, you know. You know, and if you have some indoors that aren't doing good, don't chunk them. You no. can, and if you can, because Did you when say they chunk? Chunk. Yeah, I love that. chunk them. Uh, because if you take them outside, they'll get more in their native environment, and they'll start flushing back out and looking really, really good. It's amazing. Yeah, it, so don't give up on them if that's the case. But the big thing is, is first off, a lot of times the house plants aren't in a good 
growing soil for long term. Mm -hmm. They're just good to get it started and rooted. So like that lady was saying, sometimes she takes a sphagnum off or the, the root ball. She takes some of that dirt off and then puts it in the soil with the good soil and then it's able to root out quicker and then you'll get much healthier plants. And then over. a lot of times, you know, we're growing house plants and pots that are where they're completely pot bound and we're not repotting. But you're mentioning you putting the uh, nice layer of earthworm castings on top of the pot. I like to do that at least once mm-hmm. a year on all the house plants. But also you can get like a, a pin or a or whatever and poke holes uh, down into your soil before mm-hmm. you put the earthworm castings on. Then you water that in and that will help for those castings to get yeah. down into that root ball, you know? Man, I the little plant I was telling you all about, I've just abused it. Of course, I'm calling this an experiment, but it's in a little... <laughs> yes, bit, she is. It's in a little bitty <laughs> container, and it was in a little mini pot. So I took the plant out of the mini pot, put it in the mini container. I didn't break the root ball or anything. It, mm-hmm. I put a little soil in the bottom because it fit perfect, and I wanted to look right now. didn't have time to go through the whole thing. So the plant's growing and growing, and you can tell it's kind of suffering because it's in a smaller pot. Right. But I let it dry out a lot also, but it's still hanging in there nicely. looks pretty good. So I said, I really need to soak this real good. So I poured the water on it and just floated to the top. Yeah. I'm pouring water, pouring water, pouring water, still floating, floating. It took forever to rehydrate. And then I'm like, well, you know, it didn't even root to the bottom. So I took it and squished the roots up, uh, broke that soil up because it was getting so hard. So I broke the soil up set it back down in the container, and now it's rooting. But it just stayed in a little peat pot in that peat moss and wouldn't do anything. It's hard to rehydrate yeah. peat when it, once it totally dries right. out. So if nope. I had have went ahead and broke it up and stuck it in there, then everything would have already started rooting. No plant wants to die before yeah. it's time. And it <laughs> tries and tries not to. And remember, life will find a way. This is true. Oh, that's what these bad the bugs... The old wise one over no, there. No. <laughs> that's why we have bad bugs, bad fungus, and bad... Uh, all the bad stuff and because bad, it can take over and, and eradicate things that are stressing and, and bad practices where we take their life maybe sooner than they want yeah, to go. yeah. That, that's true that's the main thing you need to understand to become a good gardener is that if a plant dies you killed it uh, usually that is the case <laughs> yes yeah. you either gave it something it didn't want or it wanted something you didn't give it and any other option yeah. Right. Okay. It's yeah. like being pregnant. You either are or you aren't. <laughs> well, there's now, no in between there. Yeah, see, that's another thing is why um, sometimes we'd rather you choose from a garden center than a box store because sometimes a plant or a lot of times a plant doesn't have longevity or look as good because of the care that it got before you ever True took that. it home. True. And because, you know, plants can wilt and then we can water them. They can wilt and we can water and we can do that over. And you're thinking, oh, there's no big deal. I'll water it and it comes back. It comes back. But each time a plant wilts is a stress and then a stress and then a stress and then when it gets stressed like that it can't take up the proper nutrients or it won't last as long or the color's not as good so if your plant keeps wilting and you keep watering it and it wilts and water maybe you need to add more soil water more frequently something like that for longevity no doubt about it yeah it makes a big difference all right let's head to a break and then we're gonna let jim talk (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh (laughs) we'll be right back
Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. I know I said let Jim talk, but you know, since I got the mic, <laughs> I can't let you talk. I'm going to keep talking really fast. Go ahead. All right. No, but actually, okay, so we always talk about people bringing stuff in and that have issues or they're coming in trying to get um, how to make it live. So somebody will come in and go, I have a plant. It looks horrible. It's dying. Oh, yeah. So I'm visioning this container with this plant that's just all wilted out. Yellow leaves, brown, mm-hmm. dry soil. Just, I mean, that's when your plant's dying and that's when you've got issues. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm just envisioning the worst. I go, bring it in. And they bring it in and there's two yellow leaves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. always like that. You immediately envision the absolute worst and forget to ask it's the like basic just pull questions. pull those yellow leaves off and you're just fine. Or I saw this one too because a lot of times you don't know what plants are supposed to look like. And somebody was bragging on these wonderful plants that they bought at this box store. And for how much money? And they were both were having uh, root rot because mm. I could tell. And they're like, I love how the leaves are drooping. It's <laughs> so pretty and trailing. And I'm going, oh, this poor lady. She just spent a lot of money on these plants that are obviously root yeah. rot. And Dude. also, go ahead. Mm-mm, you go ahead. Well, a few years ago, I was standing, uh, had to go in and get some plumbing parts at uh, the big orange place. Mm-hmm. And the lady in front of me had a Gloxenia that had wilted. The flowers were dying on it, and she was going to pay full price for this yeah. thing. Yeah. I mean, it was it was technically dead, mm-hmm. you know. And I started to tap her on the shoulder and tell her that, and then I, I didn't. And I feel bad about that ever right. since I did. You know, I should have, but... I didn't butt in and tell her that she's buying a dead plant. Well, and then, and sometimes, Jim, you know, we're taking plants inside that really don't even belong inside. Case to point, I was talking to a a young lady the other day, and I've known her for 100 years. um, And she had, someone gave her a gardenia, okay, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, years ago. And it's in a container, okay. But every winter, she brings the gardenia in the house. Now, we all know that that's not the perfect growing environment for a gardenia. Uh, in fact, the reason I was talking to her is she had scale on the gardenia. Um, but, and of course, now she's taking it back outside. But we know that this gardenia has been stressed trying to grow it indoors. But she's doing it because she doesn't want it to get any winter damage mm-hmm. on it, Okay. So sometimes we've got to grow some plants at some point where they really don't need or want to be. Uh, so I said, look, you know, we've got to get rid of the scale. Uh, you know, just make sure we feed this gardenia to, uh, to get it as strong and healthy as we possibly can. Uh, and she's done it for many years. But it's the first time that she's ever had, actually had mealybugs and scale on it, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, so Fertilize it more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so it's not just... In this case, killing the insects, okay? Uh, and I think she got some, uh, she actually bought some neem oil that she was going to mm-hmm. spray the foliage with, but also got her the systemic granules uh, for houseplants mm-hmm. that you can sprinkle in the soil, water in. So that way, Jim, you're, you're trying to kill them in Veda uh, two different ways, okay? Mm-hmm. And then I said, but don't forget, we need to start feeding this plant too to get it as strong and healthy as we possibly can. And, and it really does need a dormant period. So it's best with things like gardenias that you want to bring in, um, let them get to 40 degrees for 10 or 15 days uh, at night, and that will set them into dormancy. 
Um, you know, it's not, not like the new, house plants, right? Do well, you mean well, it, some of them, well, yeah, yeah, maybe, they, but um, but with things like gardenias, you know, mm-hmm. some of the gardenias, the one you see a whole lot here sold as the little tree, is yeah. actually a is one called first love yeah. or. Uh, there's another name for it, and I forget what it is, but um, it's it's beautiful. It's the largest, most gorgeous, most fragrant gardenia that you can you can have. I think Amy might have been one. Amy, also. that's yeah. that's it. That's yeah. the other name for first love. They're the same plant. And what happened is though that it is the least hardy of all yes. of the gardenias, yeah. Yeah. so it's likely to get killed here. But even worse is what you don't know is that stem, that graft is a gardenia that's even less hardy than the (laughs) Amy. So it is not going to live outside, you know. And Amy is so beautiful and fragrant. It is. It's as long as you treat it as an annual. Yeah, but that's why a lot of people are taking these, especially if they're in containers, they're taking them inside as a tropical plant. Mm -hmm. But we know that this gardenia does not want to be inside. But if you don't, you know it's going to freeze, right? Right. So there's always those issues. Issues uh, that you got to combat, no doubt. Yeah, because like a lot of people want to bring in the hibiscus, the mandevillas, sure they all do. of those, and that's yeah. really difficult. It really, they really. look like crap my spring. They <laughs> really know, they do. Got they got bugs all over them. They got scale, maybe some spider mites. And but then you cut them back, put them in the sun, fertilize them, and it's all going to be good. And yeah, it's about August when you can enjoy them if they make it. All right, one thing you know that we uh, that we haven't talked about this morning, and I just want to briefly touch on is. We've always had grubs, you know, beta's touching it. Very we've cool. always we've always had, you know, sometimes problems with grubs. Now, we've all got grubs, but they're not a problem unless there's just a bunch of them out there. Uh, and they, then they can become a problem even to the point where they're eating the roots off of your lawn and you get these patches out there because mm-hmm. of grubs. Uh, now, with the advent of, of having millions more Japanese beetles, you know, here in the Mid-South that we never used to have, well, they're coming from a grub also. So by default, uh, we're we're having more grubs in our lawn and in our beds, Jim, invaded than we ever have before. Uh, but there's two products I want you to know about. One, there's a product called uh, High Yield Grub-Free Zone. High Yield Grub-Free Zone uh, you can do one application per year, usually mid-May through about through about mid-June, okay? So that's coming up, and that's the reason I'm bringing this up. And what this product does, it, it, is, it keeps the grub generation from forming, okay? Uh, it won't kill the adult grub that's out there now, but it will keep that second generation from forming. That's the high-yield grub-free zone. And then there's a product on the market, new product on the market, called High Yield Bug Blaster Plus. You know, there's always been bug, bug blaster that had bifenfrin in it. People put it out for ants and fleas and ticks and everything this. Well, this is called High Yield Bug Blaster Plus. Uh, it's got uh, Lamba uh, Solithrion in it, and it's got the imidacloropid in it also. And it's called Above and Below. Okay? Mm-hmm. So it kills insects that are actively growing, but it also prevents a lot of the grub activity for later on. Um, so if, you, if you're if you having or think you have a problem uh, with grubs, and there's dialogues and other ones mm-hmm. to use, uh, there are really good products out there that will kill grubs, and there's products out there that will help prevent grubs from forming later on. So just keep that in mind. Speaking of grubs, reminds me <clears throat> of slugs, reminds me of when I had uh, said a couple of weeks ago that uh, slugs have lots of teeth. They have 27,000 teeth. 
I lo- and I, I researched it to make sure that was correct. 27,000 teeth. I checked on Oregon University. Dot, a, dot education or whatever. And they 27,000 teeth for us. Oregon State University? <clears throat> well, you know, the organ thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, so 27,000. That's why they can eat so many holes could, in your hostels. Right. I couldn't find <sighs> any different count of uh, of uh, teeth. They said they were like sharks, you know, shark lose and replace and slugs <laughs> lose and replace. So I guess that means my theory of that I told you about 15 years ago, slugs have lips. They have to, to keep the teeth in, right? <laughs> So I hate a slug though, and a, and a snail. I don't like either yeah. one of them. And so it, let's just see if slugs really have twenty seven thousand teeth. No, let's don't. Let's put out a slug bait and let's kill those things. And what I, are would, the, I would like for Veda to bring one and count them. Yeah, I want to see the imagine? lips on this thing too. Yeah, yeah. All right, y'all. We've had a great three hours. We can't wait to be with you next weekend. Find us on the podcast. Find us on Miss South Gardening Facebook page. Um, that's how you can get us right now or visit us at our garden centers or Jim's recliner. See you next weekend.